You're listening to Movie Sucktastic. Bad movie podcast based out of New Jersey. That's right. New Jersey, the town that has legalized medical marijuana, but still hasn't bothered to legalize gay marriage. <laughs> this is true. So uh, there's a lot of new movies that have just come out, and uh, we're going to kind of, what, dive right into this, I guess? Yeah, there's you know there's a lot of stuff to catch up on. We've been doing, we've been doing uh, a lot of side stuff. Actually, I don't even want to cover half the stuff we're doing, because this clutters the uh, issue. It sure does. Uh, this past weekend, we uh, I was on the Homegrown Radio New Jersey, which is uh, the the website is homegrownradionj.org, and uh, I was uh, interviewed there on the Father Scardo Father, Father Scardo. Scardo's Altered Hours Radio Show, three hour program. There would and it would also which is uh, uh, Thursdays uh, one to four Thursdays one to four with DJ Cheesy sitting on the side. Yep, just talking about movies and stuff. That was a pretty good experience. Uh, like those guys, we'll be back there again. Uh, so if anybody gets a chance to check out Homegrown Radio and Jay, great site. It's a, a lot of under, you know what? It's, it's, it's as podcasters, right? We're kind of when you go to iTunes and you see like like all these TV shows that have their own podcasts and all these news commentators that don't podcast and these guys that make money and then the podcast you have to pay for. It's kind of easy to forget that podcasting is kind of the underground radio still to this day. Oh yeah, I mean, or not still to this day, but you know, it, it, in essence. It's been a wave of underground radio, and for every uh, Rachel Maddow podcast that you can find, there's there's like five people that aren't making money off it. They're just doing it for the love of it, and it's, it's, it right. kind of equates to the underground film movement, which I want to start getting more into in the near future, and the underground radio movement, which I don't right. want to get into in the near future because I don't know much about music. And as everything uh, goes more towards the internet, such as uh, TV, you know, I mean... You, you can't go and watch a video just about anywhere without watching a commercial these days on the internet. So to have a medium such as podcasting, where you know we don't do commercials, we take a quick break, but that's about it. But but we will. <laughs> but no, we were not opposed to doing a commercial for, I, I guess you know, places like you know outside the cinema. Great uh, cult film based podcast sure. out there. I'm sure, sure. everybody, anybody listening to us has probably heard of them because yeah. they definitely have a bigger audience than us. Right now, yeah, we're hoping to. <laughs> <laughs> we will beat you. No, <laughs> no. Where I, where I think I'm actually going with it is, uh, I think a lot of the future is going to be based on the fact that regular terrestrial radio is tanking. They're not doing well. People are looking for other ways to listen to music, other ways to listen to radio shows, and I think people are going to more and more be going towards something like podcasts. We are the way of the future. I think you're right. Yes. So, there's a Dragnet episode with the LSD guy. I am the way to go, the way of the future. <laughs> Let me tell you about the future. <laughs> Just facts, ma'am. Now it's ironic that you mentioned advertising, which yes. we are we are open for uh, any bidders, <laughs> because we have their movie challenges coming up, and one of them is Looker. She's a looker. She's a looker. 
which uh, the Michael Creighton film. So we have uh, that was the one you ch- I challenged you with, correct? And then you challenged me with Women in Love. Yes, the 1969 Ken Russell adaptation uh, of the D. H. Lawrence classic, the right. second book in the series. We'll get into all that. Uh, so um, one of the, which has nothing to do with advertising, but does have to do with the de- like the decline of the relationship in the modern industrial. Seventeen, uh, yeah. 1920s. Yeah, when, it's or you know early twentieth. D. H. Lawrence stuff. was a very, it yeah. was really against progress in a lot of ways. Yes, um, but, early twentieth century uh, is is the period that the film takes place in, and so we got a lot of that. It's going just on. as boring as what you're going to. Well, let's as, get it. Let's, let's wait until imagine. we talk about it. So we got those two films we're going to be talking about yep. uh, coming up. But first, we're going to cover our we're bases. Do the top ten. The top ten. All right. Actually, no. Before we do the top ten, okay. Before I, we do the top, I want to I want to step in a little bit here. I get a little warm up here. Okay. I've got some groundbreaking news for us. It's groundbreaking. This is groundbreaking. Okay. Now, as you know, our Twitter right now is a little low on the numbers. Yeah. We now Facebook. We're doing good. We're almost two hundred. I, I would I would imagine to say that Twitter isn't even popular. Because yeah, how no, could it, it, Twitter is popular? Just not. We're not popular on Twitter. I, then why are we excelling so well on Facebook? Because we, we, we know more people on Facebook, and we're, we're, we're making more connections. On Facebook's more of an open forum. Twitter's somewhere, somewhere you go when you know what you, I, you want to follow. I think it more, you don't, more you, so has to do with the fact that Facebook is a much better version of Twitter. All right, you know what? This besides, that's, that's just my feeling. The, the, that's why I, don't, I have an account. It's why I don't use it. Apples and oranges, sir. Apples and oranges. I, I like apples and oranges. I would like some apples and oranges. But here's my point. Uh, our Twitter is really low. It's very low. Eight, I think, is the newest one. One of our contests is uh, when we get 100 fans, we'll do a random drawing for a winner. Yes. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I have a prize lined up, and it's not a We're copy. We're already ready to do our second Facebook yes. prize at 200. Which I have a prize lined up, and it's not a copy of my book. It is <laughs> okay. A, it is a DVD of an undisclosed title, which I will tell when the winner is drawn. Okay. Ooh, nice. Uh, now, but so that means I can't have it. No. Okay. Now, but Twitter... Yeah. We have eight listeners, or eight viewers, eight, 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 eight Twitter receivers. <laughs> that now, shouldn't make me laugh. Now, but for exa- as a random example, uh, Fox News' Glenn Beck has 180,000 followers. He also has a TV show. Too. He has a TV show, yes, but he also has... We should just call in and just go, movies up fantastic. They don't do call-ins, sir. Oh, uh, he has a radio that, show. That just, that just shows how much I watch yeah, Glenn he, Beck. He has a radio show. I think he has call-ins on that. Uh, but they have screeners. But, okay. But what he does have is conspiracy theories. Okay. Now, I have groundbreaking conspiracy theory here, and it is topical for our show. It sounds political at first, but it is topical. All right, hit us. Now, there is, of course, the whole belief that the um, that Obama is not an American, that uh, his, his birth certificate is false or being hidden or whatever, and he's actually not of this country of, Correct. of, of original American birth, as you will. Yes. Uh, I believe he is, but I believe it is still a fraud. Okay. <laughs> Barack Obama is not the man he says he is. He is no other than C. Thomas Howell. <laughs> and Soul Man? Doing a redux of Soul Man. <laughs> C. Thomas Howell. Well, you really hit me with that one. I was not expecting anything like that. The world isn't ready for this, this sir. This episode. <laughs> the world is not ready for this news, but I'm releasing it. <laughs> I have in front of me now a thick padded envelope filled with all the information, all the proof, all the evidence that C. Thomas Howell, in in a desperate attempt to revitalize the startling career he had in the 80s, um, I think my favorite film of his is the one where he played the volleyball film, uh, Side Side Out. Out. Side Out, yes. Um, 
which also stars uh, the guy that played from Wicked of Bernie's. In, he, uh, Bernie, he plays like the, the evil... Uh, yeah, and it has, what's his, I can never remember his name, but he was in uh, the, guy the, with TV, the TV show 30-something, I believe. The guy with the flowing blonde hair. <laughs> <laughs> we need a guy that plays volleyball and is blonde. You're perfect. <laughs> he, he, Would you like the part? He's like an American palatable version of um, Fabio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's but see Thomas Howell instead of instead of just using uh, paint, he's actually gone full on with the prosthetics, and the whole thing is a sham. See Thomas Howell is Obama. <laughs> Michelle Obama is being played by the uh, right wing media darling Ann Coulter in a surprise in a role that will surprise you. She's she's breaking she's she's corrupting the Democrats from within, playing the first lady. We should just do a faux trailer for this. There's no laughing matter about this, sir. <laughs> oh, Even the dog, Bo, yeah. is not Bo. It is actually the third cousin from Benji trying to break into the industry again. This is all going to be revealed after the uh, the pri- uh, after the um, the midterm elections. They're going oh, really? to they're they're pull the faces right off. It'll be like V, but more realistic. Okay. Or less realistic. I'm not sure. All right. So, out of your system? That's it. That's it. Let's move on to the top hey, ten. Hey, if the Inquirer can, be, can actually apply for a Peabody Award or a Pulitzer Prize right. because of their Edwards coverage, I, I, I get some kind of coverage for this. <laughs> of course, the, the government's now going to be after me. So, All right. The top... Can you start my car before, when I leave today? If you want. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh, the top ten is going to be for January 22nd through the 24th. Yes. Okay. And it's going to be the sixth week that Avatar was the number one film. That is the number one movie for that weekend. It made $34.9 million, and its total, as of right now, like realistically right now, not as far as the list, is close to around $600 million. I think it just passed it, actually. Now, again, we're going to move away from Avatar because we really don't like talking about I, it, I but I have to briefly mention that... The backs and forths between people on the internet has gotten really ugly with this film. I know we've mentioned it before, and I know I mentioned the last episode that I really haven't experienced it that much, just a little bit. I've experienced it a lot more now, Mm -hmm. because I've just very simply said on some forums, you know, anyone posts any, even if they post something as simple as the top ten, it turns into Avatar Fest. It's the greatest movie ever made. It's going to do this. I predict it's going to make $2.4 billion. It's getting old. It's been old. I am so done with it. I am so tired of reading about it. Can we mm. please talk about something else other than Avatar? How about some other movies that are coming out I, or, or are out? I mean, come on. Give me a break. I, I agree, sir. Uh, I, too, am almost done with the Avatar thing, but I will be bringing it up after we do the top ten. Yes, uh, for uh, for one purpose, and you'll agree with me, it's more topical. Okay, but yeah, I pass. Definitely, just definitely. But, except it has now become the number one grossing film of all time. It has beaten Titanic as of last week. Right, and anytime you bring up inflation, people just go insane. Why would you bring up inflation? One point eight billion, or right now it's at I think uh, two billion at just about two billion. Two billion is two billion dollars. Yeah, but when you're charging twelve fifty a ticket. It, you can get to that up much to 20, faster. depending where you live, up to 20 for the yeah. IMAX. As a matter of fact, uh, one of my friends last night went to go see it. He hadn't seen it yet. $18 for the IMAX ticket. Right. It's like, are you kidding me? And people are just up in our, oh, you can't count inflation. Yes, you can. 
and you should. Now, I'm not saying go back to the Gone with the Wind days, which is where a lot of these people get really bent out of shape. I'm saying just go back 15 years. I did. Just go back 15 years. If you remember my rant last episode, mm-hmm. I, I actually went back just to E.T., and if you adjust for inflation... Which is a little longer than 15 years, but... It's, it's roughly, it's, it's, 1985. You know, no. E.T.? 82. That's what I meant. Okay. Uh, and if you adjust for inflation, it mm-hmm. made... Uh, tit- uh, I, uh, at the, at the time, right? Whatever the whatever Avatar had made at the time, it had made fifty percent of what was well, as a matter ET of fact. Made. I just heard it yesterday. might be catching up to ET now. No, no, I just heard yesterday that as far as ticket sales go, Avatar hasn't even come close to Titanic yet. Asses and seats, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Hasn't even come close. That's how they should be measuring it: asses and seats. They should just realistically, if you want to do an inflation or ticket sale price, just adjust it for Titanic. And then we'll talk. Uh-huh. Because then you'll see that Avatar was is not nearly as impressive as Titanic. And at the same time frame. You know, Titanic just was in theaters for months. Sir, sir, we, we said we stopped talking about Avatar. I know, I know. I, but I it is in the thing. top ten, so it's unavoidable. I, I and It's unavoidable again after this list. Well, I'll, I had, I'll tell you I, why. I had, I had to get it out because... For the top tens from now on, I think I'm just going to briefly mention Avatar was number one. Nothing new, moving along. Right. Done. But uh, you know? I, I'll, um, I am going to touch base after this. Okay. And, but... So the number two movie yes. was the premiere of Legion <laughs> <laughs> with $17.5 million in its first week. So that's its, obviously that's its total. Not it only cost $26 million to make. So as bad as it may be, because I've heard not good things about it, mm-hmm. it will make its money back. It will make a profit, so maybe there won't be a lesion too, but again, I've mentioned on several occasions, nothing ever is a flop anymore when you count domestic, foreign, DVD, Blu-ray, home, cable, Netflix, all that stuff. You, nothing's ever a flop that's, anymore. That's why they crank it out. There's, you know, they got there's guys a, in suits that crunch numbers to say, well, if you make There's a movie, formula. There's yeah, a formula. There's an exact formula that they use, and they say, okay, based on these statistics, we'll give you this much money, you'll make this much movie, and realistically, we'd be very surprised if no one went to see it. That, you know, I, and I, it didn't make any money. That's movie. how you explain like the last two films Pauly Shore made. Yeah, <laughs> it's just all right. If we spend thirty million on a movie, we we make exactly. no matter what exactly. we make our money back. No, exactly. Right. So that is the number two film. Um, I by the way, and I, I got some flack on Facebook because people were going to go see it that Friday night. Yeah, and I and I I hastily warned them, and then they came back later. It was fun. I enjoyed it. So okay, I didn't <laughs> argue. I was like, okay. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, so you know, who knows? I could be wrong, one but of, on this one, no, I really doubt it. No, no. One of my... Day, I, I'm, more, I'm more likely to be wrong on Daybreakers than I am on this one. Yes. I did that realistically? Yeah. Uh, and you know, I don't buy... Oh, it was released closer to the month. That must mean it's not that bad. It's closer to February. I don't believe in that at all. Right. I think that's when you could get your release date. It was an available January release. Your movie sucks dick. It's a January release. Right. That's just how I feel. Now, Legion has one part in the trailer that really, really irks me. You're, har- you're harping on this again? I know I've mentioned it yes. in an earlier podcast, but I just have to mention it again. It is something Stephen Summers was doing you know, back in the Mummy days, and it's what people have kind of latched onto, and it's when your villain, your monster, your demon, whatever it is, when their mouth opens... 
twice as far as it possibly could have and looks so gummy and Play-Doh-y and stupid, it drives me out of my mind. You know what the best wide mouth monster ever was what? for me? What? The stuff. Because when this guy opens his mouth, <laughs> that's different. He's melting. No, he wasn't melting. He was. It's a melt movie. The stuff is not a melt movie, sir. He was not melting. He opened his mouth so the stuff could get out. He was not melting. Anyway, don't make me school you on this. He's stuff. melting. He's not melting. He's okay. He's. Be- it's deforming him in, was, such, he, he, in such a horrible way. But he was regurgitating the stuff. He was not melting. It's not a melt movie. You sure? No, I'm pot. Stu- I you gonna question me on the stuff, sir? Okay, I've I'm written sorry. articles on the stuff, sir. Uh, okay, okay. Right. Haven't seen it in a Pick while. Pick up a copy of Monster Rally. I touch on the stuff in that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in what in, in the chapter? What would Jason do? I touch on the. stuff. I mean, when the stuff is done with you, aren't you just left a hollow I, I, shell? I, but you don't melt. Okay. All, All right. right. All right. It's it's not a melt it's movie. Fine. I okay. mean, you're pretty much you're. This is like this is like twenty eight days later. I this don't is, know. This is, I mean, if <sighs> Joey, this is like twenty eight days later. Is not a zombie movie. I'm splitting hairs. Okay. All right. All right. Technically, Zombieland is not a zombie movie. It's an infection film. Yeah. Yeah. Technically, yeah, true. But it's funny, so it, I'll let it slide. Yeah. <laughs> no, Zombieland was a great. movie. It was funny. All right. Uh, the number three film in its second. Oh, but week. no, I have. But since you mentioned your your the part you hate in the trailer for Legion, yeah. My, the the part that, that makes me cringe is is when you have the. I've come to save her, you know, not you, your child. Why? Oh, yeah. Oh, that old wheeze. Yeah. Oh, her her child's going to save the world. Didn't we see this already with Christopher Walken? The Prophecy. Yeah, it was called The Prophecy. That was great, though. Then there's no need to make it again. Yeah. So, all right. Number three film is The Book of Eli with Denzel Washington. And it's second week with 15.7 million. So it's doing pretty well. 60 million total. And it only cost eighty million bucks. So, well, it only cost eighty million. That's but here's the thing: next weekend it'll it'll be at even, right. and that's before it's foreign market. So it'll do well. Oh, it, yeah. it won't do you know mega money, but it'll make a good profit. Now I don't know. It's a post-apocalyptic film, and I love post-apocalyptic. Oh, you know that's that's one of my favorite genres for film. When done right. When done right. And I don't, I don't know about this yet. Again, it is a January release, so you kind of, at least for me, I always kind of take heed, and I just, I'm never, I'm never a hundred percent sure. I'll see it anyway. I know I'll see it, but I'm always a bit wary about it. So that's just my feeling on it. You know what? But I like Denzel. I love. Oh sure, Man on Fire. Oh, really introduced me. To Denzel Washington again. He he doesn't have a, a, a spotless track record, right? But usually, even the stuff like uh, you ever see Out of Time, yes, that's that one. Yes, surprisingly good. Yeah, that, that's that's one of those where like, it starts off slow when it's slow, and then like at midway point, all of a sudden it's like like he's treading water and he's doing five things at once to try to. It's just like holy shit, this is like I'm on the edge of my seat, right? And, and which isn't easy. And as and as much <laughs> you know. And as much as saying, oh, I loved him in Training Day. He was great in Training Day. And he was. He was. As, because that's the movie he won his Oscar for. Right. I think his performance in Man on Fire exceeds it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I just think he was so good in that. I personally thought Man on Fire was the best film that of that year. Which his best film since Ricochet. Five. <laughs> I just want to see. I, I just <laughs> want to talking about that spotless record again. Yeah, <laughs> Ricochet wasn't that bad. No, either. it wasn't. But it's it, it was just a low end. It was it's just like, one of those movies. It's like, 
Yeah, I'm Denzel. I can do this. I got this. And you can forgive him Carbon Copy because that was like his debut. <laughs> oh, you know? Yeah. Hell, they paid him to get his teeth fixed for that film, so it wasn't all bad. <laughs> you know? Um, but uh, uh, Book of Eli, I want to see it just to see how long it takes for him to do that, that Denzel oh, the over the, the shoulder. shoulder. <laughs> Man. I think some of the posters have it, too. I, oh, I, every poster. Every, I don't think everyone. everyone uh, almost the, the every one, film. The one main poster that I've seen that they're uh, producing. You know, it may not be the main poster, but there is a poster of him. Right, the main know, poster. There'll be a lot of posters is almost, It's not like a, the shot is from about a foot down, and it's just him looking out into wherever. Yeah. And, that's, and he's got sunglasses, and he's got a beard, and his hair is kind of gray. That's the poster for and, this. And he looks around. But, there's alternate posters that I've seen. Yeah, there's one with him turning around. Of I course guarantee there is. it. I guarantee yeah. it. You know, so so that's the that's the number three movie. Uh, the number four movie is The Tooth Fairy with fourteen million dollars. That's just in, in its first week. Cost forty eight million. Now, we've talked briefly about this. Yes. About how you know The Rock, mm-hmm. Dwayne Johnson. Um, I give him a pass. I, I I can't criticize him for this. Well. It's supposed to be a really bad film. I don't give him a pass on but, that. But it's a kids' film. But it's supposed to be a bad kids' film. Most kids' films are bad. Most of the kids, re- you know what? Really. After seeing shorts, I do believe I that said most, most most kids' films should be good because I, I, if they put a little thought into it, instead of saying "your little tyke," they don't know. They don't give a crap what's on the screen, just as long as there's things flashing around, noise. It looks funny. They'll. They'll eat anything you put in front of them. I don't buy that shit. I think most kids' films can be made good. It's just that most kids' films are made by adults who aren't trying to think like kids. Mm -hmm. That's I think, is the problem. If you're a kid at heart and you're making films for kids, you'll make a film like Shorts. If you are not a kid at heart and you're just trying to make a film to make money, you make a film like The Tooth Fairy. That's just my belief. for, For a professional wrestler... Who, well, I'm not knocking him for taking the money. All I'm going to say, oh, here, here's, what, you know, here's where he, I'm going. He's going to take the money. Oh, here's where I'm going. For a professional wrestler uh-huh. who really, who's first, who the doors opened for him when he did the Scorpion King 2. <laughs> yeah. Just because he didn't do, like, the eyebrow thing. And out of there, all of a sudden, he's getting movie deals and people are, right. and he's making money. To, to have his career dive into Tim Allen territory so quickly, where he, just to correct, it wasn't the Scorpion King 2. It was just the Scorpion King. That's what I meant. Uh, the Mummy 2, the Scorpion King. Yeah. Thank you. No, um, no. You're wrong again. The Mummy 2 was its own thing. It was just called the Scorpion King. The Mummy 2 had Scorpion King at the end, briefly, which was him. That's it. Wasn't that the, wasn't that the subtitle of the Scor- Mummy 2, Scorpion King? No. Okay. It was just the Scorpion King. All right. Well, you know what? I'm sorry. I just had to correct you. No, and thank I, I you, sir. I know it was a few seconds not, later. Thank you oh, for correcting You know what? Me. I do have a list. We'll do it after the top ten of things that were wrong in the last episode. Just just preparing the audience. <laughs> because I, I did say a couple of things that were wrong. Okay. But I have I have to bring it up just because we, I'm not, oh, I always do. Thank you for correcting me, sir. You I'm got not, Believe me. I, you're here for the facts. I'm here just to uh, <laughs> okay. blow hard. But the fact that he's now in Tim Allen territory... Right, and I like to know, like, I'd love to see, like, the night, how many, you know, the, the empty bottles of liquor on the on mm-hmm. the table when he finally says, "Yeah, I'll do the Tooth Fairy movie." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's this, like, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, Vin Diesel did the the babysitter, but you know, I, I did Escape the Witch Mountain, and now the the, the Tooth Fairy. Yeah, even the Santa Claus, like, to the Tooth Fairy is like, if he did the Santa Claus, 
Okay. It's like, well, that's great, but the Tooth Fairy? <laughs> when Tim Allen's laughing at you for doing shitty Disney films. Yeah, but what? Shaggy Dog. I mean, I didn't see it, but that trailer was awful. I guarantee... Oh, that, we were talking Tim about that. The critics just like went to town on him. A shitty Disney film mm-hmm. still pays better than like a lot of good. This is very true. Action films, you know, so they, you, you pay for the name a lot of times. So, but so I, I just I, I give him a pass on it. Even it's just it's a kids' film, and okay, fine. It's I think it's just going to be a bad film. But yes, you're right. I'm not saying I'm not. Be- I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not saying it's gonna be good. I'm saying I can't harp. I can't harp on a kids' film for not coming up, right. living up to standards. Avatar, yes. Tooth Fairy, okay. Out the door, we know it's a bad film. Yes. And uh, uh, the number five movie is The Lovely Bones, Peter Jackson, and that's at 8.4 million, with 31 million total. That's in its seventh week, but it just finally went wide. Right. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, they were t- testing the waters. Pretty much, it's been in post production for over two years. Um. I haven't seen it yet. I've heard some things about it. Uh, the ending has changed from the book. Things like that. I'm even wondering if if the initial screenings were so lackluster that he added all this like heaven CGI stuff afterwards. Don't know. I don't know. I would like to know that. You know, if he got everyone that read the book into the film before, let's say that was the reason why he put the CGI stuff in, because a lot of people that saw it didn't read the book, then... They don't know how simplistic that part of the book is and how how nice it is. So, you know, I don't know. It, it just, I just don't think this is Peter Jackson's, you know, comeback to form movie. I think it's his apology for King Kong. It better be. Well, I don't know. His next film better be a goddamn zombie movie. That's all I got to say. And you better not screw that one up. Yep. Uh, number six, Sherlock Holmes. Excellent. 6.6 6 million, five weeks out 191 million total so i think they were kind of surprised at how well it did uh you know what i i think robert downey jr is a big sell no he is i mean right now because of iron man and whatnot but the fact that it's actually a very good film certainly you know helps it it is but i i have a feeling they just didn't know how the it was going to be received I had that kind of feeling where and they were because it's a Guy Ritchie film that kind of puts him back on top as well. Yeah, but you know? and I think there was there was a lot of tentativeness about okay, it's it, it's Robert Downey, mm-hmm. but it's also Guy Ritchie who who people still can't let the Madonna thing go. And it's Guy, yeah, right. And, and Rachel he, he's, McAdams. He's done some is great films since then, but they still have to keep bringing that crap up. Jude Law is in it. He plays a great Watson. Right, but I just think they were. I think they were just iffy on whether or not the public would actually go to see it. Right, but they did, and it was good. It was excellent. So I'm very happy that's doing well. Yeah, because not every film I like can bomb. Credits start rolling on that. I'm ready for part two. I'm just really ready to see the second one, and you know it's going to happen because financially it was a big, big hit. Yes, yes. So very, very good on that. Uh, Number seven, Alvin and the Chipmunks: The Squeakwool. Again, kids' film. I can't. And I'm not faulting for it. I just, again, I'm tired of the CGI. I wouldn't take my kid to see it. No, no, definitely not. Uh, Six point four million. $75 $75 million is what it cost, five weeks out, $204 million. So it's on par with what the first one did, which means there's absolutely going to be a third one. Right. Again, so, kids' film, you know it's going to make money. Uh, number eight, Extraordinary Measures, yeah. with $6 million. That's that, in its first week. That's that Harrison Ford one, right? Brendan Fraser, Harrison Ford, yeah. Yeah, I, this is a Harrison Ford Oscar bid, right? I don't think so. 
You don't? Uh, no, I think it's... Do they come out before the end of the year? No. No, is, this is a January release, baby. That is not an Oscar bid, okay. Yeah, no, this is a really, from what I hear, a really bad film as well. You know it's bad when the trailer, or the TV spots, I should say, use another film to try and sell this movie. It's as moving and as excellent as The Blind Side. I don't want to know right. about The Blind yeah. Side. Then I want to know about this movie. Then I'll see The Blind Side, thank you very much, <laughs> which I won't. Right. Uh, well, so I probably will when the Oscars name come out. Cause we'll be watching those. It'll it'll be a Best Picture nomination. Yeah. So I'll definitely. So I'll be watching The Blind Side. Um, so, yeah. And I, I and again, it's not my type of film, not my cup of tea. You know, I might catch it when it's on cable, but I'm not going to go out of my way to see it unless it is heavily nominated, which it which wouldn't happen until next year's Academy Awards because it came out in January. If so, if I want to see, that's not even. A thought. If I want to see Harrison Ford do a touching family-oriented drama, uh, you know which drama, movie I'd see. I'd see regarding Henry. Regarding Henry. There you go. <laughs> I loved him in that. But, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, all right, that's it. You tipped your hat with that. You're not going to do. You're not going back to that no, spot. No, no, no. Because no, the fact no. that he made that film and actually did well and people liked it, right? It's like, what are the odds of? of just what are the odds? No, I know. So, so going back again, trying to do like that whole. Uh, no, exactly. That no, exactly. Uh, I, I think they should they should have done a, uh, they should do it where Harrison Ford plays regarding Henry guy, but he gets taken in by a, by a rich black family and then he ends up playing soup, playing football. <laughs> he paints Ritz crackers on his helmet. Okay, okay, I, I go. <laughs> Number nine is it's complicated, and it really uh, isn't. Yeah, uh, five point eight million, five weeks out. Eighty-five million is what the budget was, and it's made ninety-eight million dollars. Is adultery really that complicated? It's and it's adultery with her ex-husband, but I'm bummed. Yeah, that's. I, I guess I guess I, it's mean, like, just, I guess it's a plot twist uh, for your um, your first wives' club crowd. Right. Steve Martin's in the film, but I wish he was playing uh, his character from Roxanne. Oh, <laughs> well, and you know, and, and I did say it was, you know, it was a big hit or it's making good. You know what? It cost $85 million. I take that back. I don't know. It's Unless just, you're paranormal activity. <laughs> which is just lightning in a bottle. Um, but, again, not... No, what? that phrase just caught me off guard, lightning in a bottle. You never heard of that? No, I've heard it. I, just, huh. I never heard you say it. Oh. <laughs> That's all. Really? Yeah. We've known each other a long time. I like me saying G. Willikers. <laughs> it's like really uh, okay. I didn't think it was. It that, wasn't that no bad a term. Sure, I just I never heard you use the phrase before. That's all. Anyway, hey, do you see me differently? <laughs> anyway, and finally, the Isn't number eighty song, lightning in a bottle, message in a bottle. So, oh, there you go, lightning yeah. in a bottle, yeah. No, lightning in a bottle, yeah. No, no, okay. <laughs> Uh, and the number 10 film is The Spy Next Door with Jackie Chan. Jackie and Chan, I refused the, the knock. 4.5 uh, million. Actually, I take that back. I, I, I no, Go ahead, numbers, sorry. No, no, 4.5 million. It's in its second week. It's made 18 million total. There's I, no budget number for it, I, which I'm sure is higher than $18 million. <laughs> yeah. So that's why it's not listed. I, uh, I, I take that back. I'm not above uh, bad-mouthing Jackie Chan because he right. did do Around the World in 80 Days. But yeah, but uh, again, it's just it's just him doing like the and he did do the medallion, which uh, yeah, god awful. Yeah, I mean, was... just like a ama- like for a kids film, it was like mm-hmm. w- amazingly god awful. Yeah, but it looks like the t- like the tuxedo 
you know, Merge version two, and right. it's a kids' film. It's uh, it's what the babysitter movie. It's 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 kid. It's, it's it's another kids' film. It's action star kids' film plot number seventeen, and that's fine. Yeah, I yeah. have no problem with that. So, so that's the top that, ten. If I had kids, they would be seeing that. <laughs> and then I then, and then I show them Armor of God. <laughs> the bastard. <laughs> Here's so, here's here's the part where he broke his skull, <laughs> which would that that would be the opera. No, that's Armor of God. No, it's yeah, Operation right. Condor is a sequel. Right. Yes, it is. The problem is in America they released Operation Condor first, first. and then they called the sequel uh, Operation Condor Armor of God because they released Armor of God second. So it's yeah, just, so, I don't understand why they do. They they, they take us for idiots here. So. Well, we we are. Well. <laughs> Okay, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna disagree with you. I am not standing up for the American people right now. <laughs> Avatar made how much? Okay, thank oh, you. All right, fine. So, so anyway, so that is that 10. is the top ten. So let's move on to the finger list. The finger list. So, do you want to start? Or do you want me to go? Uh, you go first, sir. All right. Uh, my choice for the finger list, which again, to just briefly state, is a movie we would rather cut our pinky finger off than to go see. And my choice would be the Alvin and the Chipmunks, the Squeakle film. Mm-hmm. Because i got to be honest, I'd probably see everything on the list. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I think so. I mean, yeah, I badmouth the spy next door. It's supposed to be bad, but it is Jackie Chan. I have a soft spot for him. I would see it. I'm going to set a precedent here, sir. Okay. I'm going to choose a film off of this list yes. that I've already seen in the theater. <laughs> So you would so you would cut your finger off than to not see again. I would rather cut my pinky off than go see Avatar a second time. <laughs> than st- sit through that two and a half hour film and hear people chuckling and awing around me. Yeah, when we saw that, that was oh. everything. Oh, yeah. When we saw it, there would be something that would happen on screen where you would just hear people laugh out loud so hard in in such a way that they felt that, that what they just saw was so brilliant that they couldn't believe that they were seeing it. Joey and I had two moments in the theater that I, I still remember very clearly because I love them. The one was when they first say unobtainium on the film. Right. And we both <laughs> looked at each other like, did he just unobtain him? <laughs> and then... The, the bayonet. Just before... Knife well, scene at the end. Where well, that was cool. But, but I mean moment between you and oh. me. Oh, And then the second okay. moment between you and I uh, was when, um, just before the end, mm-hmm. when you leaned over and just very, very softly whispered, I guarantee they applaud at the, during the credits. <laughs> and sure enough, the credits start. It's like, oh, that was cool. That was fucking beautiful. This is art. Oh, fucking amazing. Shut up, all of you. This pinky, right here. <laughs> On the chopping block. Instead of seeing that goddamn thing and paying for the damn glasses. <sighs> so that, that's my... Okay. So we've never done that before. I've never chosen a film I've actually seen already. <laughs> But I, I, I feel your pain. If, if I had to do a runner-up, I, I think it would probably be the uh, the blind side. It's not in the top ten. What? It's not in the top ten. Well, there you go, then. <laughs> um, Avatar, that, Avatar it is. <laughs> we're done? No, we're not done. Corrections. Well, corrections are one thing I want to touch on with Avatar. I have them here. Between your formerly nicotine-stained fingers. <laughs> I don't smoke. No, I was don't a, listen to that him. That was a Rush Limbaugh reference. Oh, Because right, you were shaking the paper. Oh. Uh, it, you wouldn't know because you, you're sane. Yes. Um, <laughs> I don't listen to that jackass. No, because we talk about Avatar. And uh, as we're recording this, it's a couple days away from the announcements of the Oscars. 
and we Oscar nominees. That's and right. And we will be doing an Oscar show. We're still don't know if we're going to do it live or we're going to record it while we're watching it. If we're going to have a party around it. We're yeah, still... I mean, depending on how long it is, we'll probably cut it into two or three parts right. so that you're not just sitting there listening for three to four hours. It just it'll be easier. Trust oh, me. But so we're trying to figure out what we're going to do, but. The nominees are coming out in a couple of days. We are going to have an episode where we could talk about the nominees. And I just want to say right here and now that mm-hmm. if Avatar... Because they, they, they doubled the nominees for Best Picture. Now there's there's ten, no, they'll get nominated for Best Picture. It, That's a guarantee. Don't, don't say that. I'm, I'm telling you right now. I am predicting right now that the movies I know guaranteed to be nominated for Best Picture are going to be Avatar, The Blind Side, those two, I guarantee you. Possibly The Road... I don't think so, no. only because it was such a limited release, even though it was a excellent movie. If it gets nominated, it won't win, because they're not going to give it to something that dark. No, it definitely won't win. Um, no, 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 no. If, if they dare nominate Avatar for Best Picture, right. there will be hell to pay. It's going to get nominated. I'm telling you now. I'm, I'm just saying. It- and I'm only hoping that Academy does not give to... Uh, fantasy type films that that holds true and it, it doesn't win best picture I'm hoping that they stick to their guns with that and give it you know what give it to a period piece this year I don't care just as long as Avatar doesn't win best picture I'll be happy because then everyone that is creaming in their pants over it will feel justified as to why they're creaming in their pants over it it's not a great film it you know what anyone listening you want to become part of uh a fan page. You whore. You can become a fan. <laughs> I just created, and it's gaining ground. More people are joining up. It's called Avatar is Not the Greatest Film Ever Made. And just join it. If you are with us, you definitely belong with that. I mean, become a fan of Movie Sucktastic first. And you'll find it through that. But if you feel the way we do, please join the page. Because it is not... It's, Personally, I don't think it's a bad film. I don't think it's a good film either. It just it's an okay film. It's not the greatest film ever made, people. Seriously. I'm just throw I'm just laying it out there. It, if it wins best picture, I am truly truly done with the Oscars. Truly. I'm truly done if they nominate it. I don't care mm-hmm. about it getting nominated cuz I already know it will be. Cuz if 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 becoming the number 1 f- selling film yeah. equals being one of the best films, you can a film with that screenplay nominated for best picture? No, no, it no. shouldn't be done. It, no. done. And we can only hope that Oscar will look at that and there's go. There's no act. There's, there's no man named Oscar. You know, I it's a I say Oscar as a whole, the entire Academy. You say the Academy then? Whatever, dude. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> you, just, you, you, call, you keep saying, "I hope Oscar doesn't do that to me." It's not an Oscar. It's not one. If only it were one man, we could take down. It, you know, it's not. If I could get my neck fingers around the neck of Oscar, we could end it all now. But unfortunately, it's not one man. <laughs> it's like a hydra. I am not. Refer- one- I am not referring to it as a person, a man, your per- a thing. But I you're personifying it. it. Yeah, yeah. I just resent that. That's all. Because I wish it were a person, because then we could... <laughs> okay, all right. Put a uh, hit out. Okay. Uh, I would hope that the Academy... The Academy... Look out, Oscar, we're coming for you. <laughs> I would hope that the Academy uh, is smart enough to not nominate a film with a plot as simple as this. Seriously. But yeah. I, I know it's not... I know they'll probably get more backlash if they didn't nominate it. If they don't it, nominate it. So they it? will. And I hope that they just nominate it to just appease all the masses that will... Just go crazy if it doesn't. 
and then just not give it anything but technical stuff, if like they, special effects, sound, and all that. If they don't nominate Avatar for Best Picture, it will restore my faith in humanity and the possibility of an afterlife. It'll be that that positive like, okay. of an affirming moment of... Uh, I may have... like a, a, They come out on... Uh, the 2nd. February 2nd, right? Yes, the same day as the opening of Lost. Okay. Uh, so anyway, I'm just going to do the corrections real quick. In the last episode, I said that Clint Eastwood was an excellent writer and director. I just took that for granted. You know, I just assumed that he wrote some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he's never written anything. Not any of his films that he's directed uh-huh. ever has been written by him. So I just want to apologize. <laughs> he's a very good director. That doesn't mean he's not a good writer. <laughs> that is, you know what? That is true. That doesn't mean it just means he. Did. Well, but when I said it, I I related it to him writing his own movies. He's never written anything as far as anything he's directed ever. He's never written anything he's directed. Correct. That's a better statement. There you go. So he he might he be he might be a great poet. He could be. You never know. When he dies, be like that. J.D. Salinger safe opens up, and all these uh, Clint Eastwood right. works come out. And, you know. And the one of the other things in the last episode that you mentioned was that Jake Gyllenhaal. You like him in in, in comedies, and I said, when was the last time he did a comedy? And he said, oh, he's done a few. No. Well, the last time, the last time he's done anything remotely romantic comedy was a movie called Lovely and Amazing in two thousand and one. Right, nine years ago. So, he's still done comedies. You said recently. You said, oh, he's done a few lately. No, he hasn't. He really, really hasn't. And I want to hear that thing, quote. Then the last thing after that was a movie called Moonlight Mile in two thousand and two, which was a romantic drama. So uh-huh. it wasn't even a comedy. Depends how you watch it. <laughs> he was great in Bubble Boy. Yeah. Then that was even a, a few years prior to that. He's so, co-starred in stuff, too. Um, and finally, the last thing I want to briefly mention before we take a break mm. and do our movie challenges is the sequels in 1979. Those two sequels that I didn't... Aha! <laughs> I almost emailed you the other week and said, Hey, Joey, what are those sequels, by the way? <laughs> the two sequels in 1979 were... The Concord Airport 79. Ooh, classic. <laughs> and the second sequel of that year was Rocky 2. Rocky 2. Those are the only two sequels in nineteen. And that's kind of makes sense, too, because Rocky kind of became the joke of sequelitis mm-hmm. for a while. Because apart from maybe the Friday the 13th films, right. Rocky was the only mainstream film that kept cranking out sequels, I think. Yeah. To an extent. To an yeah, extent, yeah. I mean, Other than right with the uh, you know Freddy films, Rocky kind of got and the Halloween ball, and things like Rocky kind of yeah. got the ball ball going in the mainstream audience, right? Whereas Nightmare uh, Friday the Thirteenth kind of got the ball rolling in the horror subgenre, yeah. You know your more your black sheep lower end films. So those are the corrections, and just I wanted to throw in those two sequels because I remember getting laughed at for not even writing them down. All right. So and I have to get this out now, real quick. All right, Lost is pre- Lost is premiering in a couple of nights. I'm putting my prediction down now of how the opening episode is going to show. Okay, my Go for my it. prediction is the opening episode is going to have because the, at the end of the last episode, you know, they blew the island up. Everything happened. Yep. My prediction is the the bomb happens and they all get transported to the first episode. Oh, you think it's? going I think to Jackson be will wake up with and uh, they're going to the eye shot. It's going to yep. be eye shot, and they're going to be. At where the plane originally crashed. Okay. At the beginning of the episode. And everybody's going to be there that was there at the beginning of the show. They're going to be bumping into each other? It's going to be the pilot Mark II, but everyone that was were the, were there when the explosion happened yeah. remembers everything. And so it's going to be, okay, let's try to correct the course of time. 
So it's gonna be it's gonna start at the beginning again for the, that's my prediction. See, I don't even, and I and I, I know I'm wrong. I don't bother making predictions because every time I even think of something that's gonna happen, they just throw me for a loop and it's totally opposite. Same just... here, but that doesn't stop me from making an ass of myself. <laughs> and I'm going to be making lost predictions every episode. <laughs> so tune in and listen to how horribly wrong I am. <laughs> oh. Alright, so that is the top ten. That is the corrections. That is Scott's lost predictions. We'll take a break and we'll come back with our movie challenges, which are Looker and Women in Love. Women in Love is a film about all-absorbing human passion. The best film this year. Love. For men, just a part of life. For women, a whole existence. My God, when I think of you and your world, it makes my heart sick. You're so limited, you're a dead end. You cannot love. And you... I could never love you. You can't bear anything to be spontaneous, can you? Because then it's no longer in your power. And why? Because you haven't got any real body. Any dark, sensual body of life. All you've got is your will and your lust for power. A dazzling feat of filmmaking. If you think you have seen everything, just wait. You will gasp. Do you know what it is to suffer when you're with a woman? Each bit and stroke burns hot. One of the most exciting films of our times. Exceptionally provocative. Stunning. One of the best. The performances are superb. You can't have two kinds of love. I've loved you as well as Gudrun. <laughs> you don't think you love, do you? Why do you torture me? <laughs> the relationship between four sensual people is limited. They must find a new way. D.H. Lawrence classic novel, Women in Love. And we're back, and now it's time for the movie challenges. It's my, I think it's my favorite part of the show, actually. Um, it, it, I, if it's not my favorite part, it definitely is one of the parts I like the most. Well, it spawned from a reality where yeah. you know you and I have known each other for a long, long time now, and we're both oh, yeah. movie nuts. We both love bad films, and it, it, you always have that one thing where it's. Dude, you gotta see this. Oh yeah, it's you gotta so, see this. Yeah. Like, like, man. We have like this mutual respect for each other, where we can recommend bad films to each other because we know you gotta see this movie. It's right. that fucking bad, mm-hmm. you know. So. I mean, and it's even sometimes we're, uh, uh, we'll hold off to watch a film together because for, yeah. for I, I needed when the Hitcher remake came out, I knew I, I needed a, a moral support, <laughs> a, a uh, not moral, an emotional support. Yeah, we waited. A long time. Like a year. Yeah, before we could get together. Because it, w- it would always come up, do you want to watch The Hitcher? Not uh, really. Not ready for it. So, <laughs> yeah. so we'd end up watching something else. I still have not seen 
the Wicker Man remake. Um, neither have I. Because so I want to see that, it with you. <laughs> yeah, that, that is our hitcher of... Well, hopefully we'll get that done this yeah, year. Yeah, so we, we, we'd always do that to each other. So the whole idea for the show is let's let's make sure... You know, let's just tr- turn it into a contest almost. Yeah, and see who uh, gets more pain right. from watching. And for those of film. you who listen, the, the only rule is that any... Any film that is challenged has to be seen by both the challenger and the challengee. Mm-hmm. So, exactly. so in this case, I challenged Joey. This this is one of the few times where I challenged Joey to a film I had already seen, and he challenged me to a film he had already seen. So we didn't have to double up on it. Right. Like last challenge, I had challenged you to Heaven's Gate, and I had never seen it myself. Right. So I kind of screwed myself on that one. Right. And I challenged you to RoboCop three, which I which you had you had already which seen, I had already seen, but and... I, I had always avoided because I knew it was bad. Yep. So it's. Uh... This one should be good, though. Let's uh, let's start off with. Uh, want to start off with Looker? No, no. no I want to start okay. off with Women in Love. All right, let's do it. Because I'm gonna have more fun talking about Looker. I want to. This I wanna, is true because I want to end on a high note. Women in Love is one one of the most boring fucking films I've ever seen. Well, okay. It's based on a D.H. Lawrence book of the same title. Correct. And it's directed by Ken Russell, who went on to do other things such as Altered States, Layer of the White Worm. You know, just to name a couple of like real tripped out type films this is a complete this is early in his career mm-hmm. you know and it's a complete deviation from that because i you know it was one of the first things he ever did he kind of got into the layer of the white worm and altered states type stuff later on right and i'm mm-hmm. so glad he did because those are infinitely more interesting than this film which is so dry and so boring oh yeah i mean layer of the white worm alone uh if you Purchase a copy of Monster Rally on Amazon.com or purchase it directly through the uh, Movie Sucktastic website right. or through my blog, uh, my uh, author site, smichaelwilson.com. Uh, Monster Rally has an, a chapter in which I wrote about Layer of the White Worm and de- deconstructed his whole, the the religious allegories in the film and the right. symbolism, and yep. there's a lot of stuff in there. Yep. Uh, Good article, too. Why? Thank you, sir. You're welcome. <clears throat> but, it's not because I know you. Now, let me give you a little bit of back, a little, a little more backstory on women in love. D.H. Lawrence at the time uh, was kind of a, uh, a controversial author because of the sexual content of the novels. The first film is uh, I have my notes here. Hang on. It was the Rainbow. This uh, the first book was the Rainbow. Women in Love was a sequel to the Rainbow. Actually, they were supposed to be one book originally to get combined, right. but the publisher split it up into two. There was such a controversial response to The Rainbow that when they published Women in Love, it was available only to subscribers, like um, book club subscribers, to the publisher. Oh. Uh, you couldn't buy it on, in bookstores. You had to just be a member of the club. Oh, wow. It was, okay. it was that kind of controversy where they just didn't want to risk any kind of more backlash mm-hmm. for it. Um, Russell eventually filmed the, an adaptation of The Rainbow, which is the first part of the series, in, oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, 20 years later, 1989, he went on and did oh, no. the first film. So he got him a little ass backwards. Wait a minute. When did he do Rainbow? What year? 89. Okay, so he did... Okay, fine. He did Rainbow after he... 20, 20 years, years after he did... Yeah, so he did fine. the second film gotcha. first. Gotcha. So that's just a little backstory on that. And D.H. Lawrence at the time was... His books were big on uh, eroticism and passion and how they were being diluted by the, the industrial complex and the the the, the uh, right, right. industrialization of society and my, he was he was kind of he was kind of a uh, very oh, what's the word see here's here's the problem too if you're if you're if anybody's listening to this is actually like a literature major uh i'm probably bungling this a little bit because i have right. I've, I've only done the cursory research into this but he was 
he was kind of against the the uh, the progress of society, uh, how modernization was kind of killing mm-hmm. the feel of it. And he he, he very he was, he was a very philosophical author, and he would tend to ramble. And a lot of the stuff was personal views. There was uh, the film. The film has uh, I like to think of it as Sex in the City flapper style. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a that that is definitely a good uh, analogy of it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Because there's a lot of talk about love and marriage. There, there's a lot of that, and it, it's what I took away from the film was how it does delve into that. Uh huh. But I just couldn't get away from how dry and boring it was. Well, first... it just, it just was. If you're very into like period pieces and you you don't mind the you know the dry dryness of of a of a boring type film, you'll love this. And well, it's turn of the century English literature, right? And, it's dry and boring. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is by English. Re- I mean, British. You know, it is really, really boring. Well, I mean, again, we're not the Democrat. This is your quintessential chick flick, right. but more than a chick flick, it's an art house chick flick, or it's a legitimate theater chick flick. Yeah. So it's not only chickified, but it's snobified too. Yeah. Uh, and and we're both intelligent people, but. I, I, it's not the kind of thing I like to read. Yeah, and it, you know, I had Oliver Reed in it, who um, who I like. I mean, I, I, I probably my favorite Oliver Reed uh, role ever was probably uh, Baron Munchausen. Where <laughs> I love that movie. We're all very large here. <laughs> no, it's just I just loved him in that, even though it wasn't a very large part. But you know, We're when I think Oliver Reed, I think my childhood. I think Baron Munchausen. Now this is a, this is a very well done film. No, it's very beautifully filmed. The cinematography is, is gorgeous. And there's, and there's a lot. There's also a lot of uh, thematic qualities to the film. Like again, the opening scene takes place at a um, at a wedding. Right. And while the two women that are going toward toward the wedding are discussing marriage and how it kind of signifies death, and uh, and the death of sex and how you know the kind of the the, the problems with marriage, they're actually doing it in a graveyard. Like one right, of them is actually right. laying on a tombstone while they're talking about how marriage is kind of like the end of sex or the end of love or it's not necessarily right, the, right. the ultimate version of it. I mean, you know, D.H. Lawrence was, was not a very uh, romantic person in that sense. He, right. he was like a re- rebel romant, romance. Um, yeah, you, uh, Oliver Reed, I, I, I have a note in my, my notes. I just saw Oliver Reed's penis. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> Actually, probably... Well, you know what's interesting about that? What? He... Didn't want to do the scene. He was very. Neither and, of them did because they were they, right. And then one night they got drunk because they were both concerned about uh, who was bigger. Yeah, no. It, so one night they got drunk and and, and, and threw them out on the table, and decided, well, we're we're almost kind of the same. It's like the ultimate like male ego kind of thing, right? You know. Yeah. So they got up enough courage to do the scene, no, no, which well, by the you way know, we're, we're skipping is ahead one because, of the most homoerotic scenes. Well, see, we're skipping. Ever. We're skipping ahead because I'm guarantee you, most people listening have not seen the film, so they don't know what we're talking about. It's yeah. There, there's in the middle of the film. There is a scene. By, by the way, this is one, one of the first theatrical mainstream theatrical films to have full frontal male nudity. So thank you, Ken Russell. Yes. There's a middle part of the middle of the film where uh, the two characters. After the after Oliver Reed's sister mm-hmm. drowns and dies, they're they're in, in the in the reading room or whatever, and they're they're kind of mourning. And the one way to really break out of a mourning after the death of a sibling is uh, naked wrestling. <laughs> so so they decide to they wrestle naked. They wanted to do it like the Greeks. And there's the whole 
there's a whole homoerotic thing where it's the idea of like uh, men trying to connect with each other and the physical contact. Right. And all that's lost because all I can do is spend the whole uh, whole scene trying not to look at their penises. <laughs> I'm secure in my manhood. I have no problem looking at a man's penis. Sure. But when it comes to a film like this, I'm just it's awkward for me. It is very awkward. Uh, male full frontal male nudity has always been kind of like the most taboo thing. You you can see full frontal on a female, it's not a big deal. Uh, most people, even females, don't mind it. Uh, what they'd like to see, if you you know read any polls or statistics, they'd like to see more uh, male uh, full frontal stuff. But it's just for whatever reason, it's just more taboo than the other. Brokeback and... Mountain ain't got nothing on these guys. <laughs> you know what I'd like to do um, right now? I'd like to give the audience a bit of a taste of Woman in Love by letting them hear one of the scenes right now. Well, there's one scene that sticks out in my head they got to play real quick. It's um, it's one that really stuck in my head, and I was like, right. wow, okay. Uh, this is why uh, you don't serve Alan Bates fruit at a dinner party. <laughs> Yo, with the... Yeah. The, <laughs> well, what look. was he eating? He was eating... Um, it was a fig. Go All ahead. Right, so that I, that's what I want to do for the audience right now. I want, I want you guys to you know, hear one of the most boring scenes in the film. So here, take a listen to that. The proper way to eat a fig in society is to spit it in four, holding it by the stump, and open it so that it is a glittering, rosy, moist, honeyed, heavy-petaled, four-petaled flower. Then you throw away the skin after you have taken off the blossom with your lips. But the vulgar way is just to put your mouth to the crack and take out the flesh in one bite. The fig is a very secretive fruit. The Italians, vulgarly, say it stands for the female part, the fig fruit, the fissure, the yoni. The wonderful, moist conductivity towards the centre. Involved, interned. One small way of access only, and this close curtain from the light. Sap that smells strange on your fingers and that even goats won't taste it. And when the fig has kept her secret long enough, so it explodes. And you see through the fissure, the scarlet. And the fig is finished. The year is over. That's how the fig dies showing her crimson through the purple slit. Like a wound, the exposure of her secret on the open day. Like a prostitute, the Burston fig makes a show of her secret. That's how women die, too. Yeah, I mean, this is a... You, you don't invite him to a dinner party and serve fruit, and then... Uh, <laughs> And then the whole scene, everyone's just staring at him like, you dick. <laughs> you sick man, you. <laughs> that poor fig did nothing to you. <laughs> and actually, like, the, pro- I, I want, uh, the problem with the film, too, is, like, both male characters are kind of unlikable. Very. The, the unlikable. one guy's a pompous ass, and the other guy's just kind of like a, like a brutish thug. Uh, yeah. Oliver Reed kind of pretty much. Kind of reminded me of, uh, of, of the lead character in the film Bronson. <laughs> Which I, I, I have yet to see. Yeah. Oh, you got to see that. Oliver Reed, like, we got to talk about that. It's almost like he's, uh, like he's 
preparing for his role as the father in Tommy. Oh. <laughs> what about the boy? Can we go naked wrestling? <laughs> he can't see her here anyway. <laughs> Tommy, can you pin me? Yeah, Tommy was only uh, I have another alter- five years later. Yeah, but like they're so my, my alternate title for the film is "Women in Love with Douchebags" <laughs> or "Dances with Cattle." Because <laughs> of that one scene where she's yeah dancing yeah. with the cat, and that's the scene, that's kind of scene where I think in the book it may work, but in the film I just don't understand what's going on. I kind of right. I kind of understand, but it, it but still, even though thematically I understand, right? Uh, I'm, I'm it's just no, and that's the problem with it. Like, again, it's it's one of the most it's, it's considered one of the best. It's on like the top list of like best 100 like English films of all time, yeah, and well, again, but it, from a different angle, it's from just, like it's from like a, a purely artistic and right. thematic angle. Where okay, this film delves into so much, and it's such a, a faithful adaptation of a classic uh, that hits that list. But then when you get the modern day, a modern person, like a modern guy, right, 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 we're watching this without the literary background or the desire of that kind of literary well, background. And, and I have a, an open mind. Uh, on everything that no, I no, watch. no. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's yeah. not like we're saying, oh, it's women talking about sex and naked guys. We don't well, like this. Well, you know what? I would have never watched it. <laughs> yeah, you know, ex- me, so. me, me, neither. But it wasn't. A, it was. It's not a bad film. I, I it's not a bad film, but it's not definitely really. not kind of the thing we want to watch. No, no. I mean, it, but it, it, it's been sitting on my Netflix for months, for months and months. Why? And months. Because why was, was this on your Netflix? Because it was one of the, it was one of those films that I've always been told. Uh, by, that I should watch. By who? Well, if you read it, like you just said, it's on top 100, you know, best British, you know, films, you know, our adaptations or whatever it was you just said. It's always making some sort of a list. It's always, you know, considered ahead of its time for the style of cinematography and acting. And it's always been the film that I've always read about. Oh, you should, you know, you should really watch this. You know, and, you, know you want some culture? Watch this. So it's, I always had it on the list. And I've always avoided it, and then I finally got around to watching it on a lazy Saturday while I was at work. I will criticize one part of the film uh, in the first like half hour when the uh, douchebag number one, right, uh, Alan Bates' character, yeah, he, he's uh, taunting his his uh, lover at the time, <laughs> and then she she uh, tr- tries to not- bash his brains in with a paperweight. Yeah. The minute the violence starts. He suddenly switches into seventies Batman mode. All of a sudden, the camera angles, and he goes like, "Pow, bang!" <laughs> <laughs> and then, after yeah. after sustaining the severe concussion, right? He, uh, Alan Bates immediately uh, runs out into a wheat field naked. Yep. Yeah, that's fun. Which is about a, yeah, again. I understand the thematics. It's it's returning to nature. It's it's a passion, like you know the, the natural. Right. And, and, and but what it comes down to is okay. Now there's a naked guy rubbing weed on his face. I. I understand it, but it's still not entertaining, right? To no, me, it just. And you know what? I'll also add one of the reasons why I wanted to see it as well was because it was a Ken Russell film, and I wanted to see if it had any characteristics that Ken Russell has kind of put in his, in a lot of his films. And because it was so early, because it was so early in his career, it didn't. So I think that is another reason why I wanted to see it as well. I kind of wanted to, you know, take a gander at. You know what Ken Russell was doing before he really became take a Ken gander, Russell. a gander at it. Yeah, sure. Take a gaping gander. What? Hey now, hey now. <laughs> yeah, when sustaining a head wound, immediately run naked through pine trees and rub yourself with wheat. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and nothing idea. helps. No, nothing helps the grieving process along more than a healthy round of homoerotic wrestling. Oh yeah, with a one of the best yeah. roaring fires. 
I've tried to recreate that in my house, and I the just, naked wrestling. Uh, you didn't invite you, me you, over. You don't want to do it, so oh. it, I could never do it. So I've always just tried to recreate the fire, oh, okay. and then just kind of you know thought about it. Also, but, also I, I did mention that it was the, one of the first films to have full frontal male nudity. Yes, it's also one of the first films. It is the first film for the for a best actress Oscar for a role that had full frontal nudity. Yes. It was the um, first full frontal Oscar. And the actress's name was... was I, that I didn't write down. I didn't... So... You're the name guy. You're supposed to tell me this I'm, stuff. Well, I'm, but, I mean, I mean, uh, it wasn't a bad movie. Which I thought her part, her role was completely over the top. I mean, I, there was that one scene where uh, the one woman accused uh, her husband, which is, I believe, Oliver Reed, of, uh, you know, not having an affair with Alan Bates, but kind of sus- suspecting it. Uh-huh. And... Like, she puts, like, a whole piece of toast in her mouth and goes, no. Just like, come on. You're really hamming it up for the camera right now. I mean, and I could understand back then, maybe you getting an Oscar nom for that, but now you would just be considered silly and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Back then, you might have got away with a little bit more because of the times. But she just puts jelly on the toast, and she just bites into it. And as she's biting into it, no. It's like, come on, really? And then there's that scene before where she asked him why he's always going fishing. <laughs> You're dirty. You're dirty, dirty. <laughs> so I, I wish I could quit you, <laughs> but I cannot. I, I, I'll admit, for the first half hour, I was actually digging the film. I was getting into it a bit because between the uh, between the whole uh, oral sex fruit dialogue, <laughs> and then the whole scene where they're mocking the, his his lover for you know inter- her interpretive dance nonsense, oh, it was yeah. actually kind of fun. It was it was it was moving at a steady pace. It was kind of engaging. I was enjoying uh, it. I, I but I, I don't but think then I was at any point. No, I, I was. I, I sometimes I like the, the more intellectual films to an extent, and for the, that part, right. I was actually digging it. But then it it's got really slow, and then it got really bizarre, and then it got really no, annoying, and then it got really boring, then it got really bizarre again for a bit, and then it got boring again. Mm-hmm. And you hated the ending. Hated the ending. It was like Saturday afternoon special type ending. I mean, it's not. It's not like Alan Bates ended up like like um, you know going with the Navi. I mean, it wasn't. It was awkward. It was abrupt. But the it, whole it, film's awkward and abrupt. That's the whole but thing. But the ending was. It just was really out. It was like they didn't know how to end it, and they just abruptly ended it. Well, I think they did know how to end it because they had a book to go off of. I don't know how the book had ended. If it was that abrupt, I'll be. I'll, I'll admit when I, when you. When you but all me. I know is, you know how we talk about how in a book, or even comic, everything on the page doesn't always transcribe to, to you film you have, well. You have to sometimes you have to do you things. Right. If that is exactly how the book ended, then you know what? It didn't transcribe the film the right way. It was too abrupt. It was too awkward. I didn't hate it. I know All it pissed right. you off. I know it angered you because you because when you it told me the shit out of me because when you told me when you told me about the film and said you were challenging me, you said it's the worst ending ever. <laughs> it's like I've seen worse endings. You know? <laughs> Just the look on her face. You no, know, you remind me of you remind me whenever I watch films with my parents. Yeah, <laughs> and I always end up watching something like uh, um, No Country for Old Men. Oh, and then and, walk away. And no, and then, uh, and then the movie will end like that kind of ending. Yeah, and then I always get, uh, you'll just hear my mother from the other side of the room say, "That's how it ends." <laughs> It's like, yeah, but I mean, it works for that. That's how it ends, you know. It's just, right. Listen, it, it, it's <laughs> we we understand it's not Twister. <laughs> you okay? <laughs> Are you okay? I was actually thinking of that while I was watching the movie. It was like halfway through. I was like, this is not Twister. 
This is this is this, this is why we do a podcast together. This is not twisted. This is exactly why we do that. Oh, um, do you that, got anything else? No, that's really the end of my notes. <laughs> okay. uh, uh, rainbow, uh, gay wrestling. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's it. All right. I mean, I think we've exhausted it. Yeah, but you know, again, but um, I don't think it was a bad film. It just really wasn't meant for us. No, I, well, it's no, not, that's, I don't that's think it's meant obvious. for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's very it, again, it, it's, it's your more art house. It, uh, it was it was really meant for again, like for the, the English time. Patient. The English Patient considered one of the better films ever made out of England. What a boring, long-winded piece of crap that is. Best picture, ninety-six. Yeah, again, I mean, it's, a, it's an Oscar picture, and it's not a bad film. But I, I can't sit through the damn thing. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, even, it's just, I honestly, I don't even remember what else was nominated that year. But there, I would have probably taken anything else over that. You know what it is? There's a line. Thankfully, so this, this is something that the Avatar people don't understand. Mm-hmm. So, and this is why you know I, I'm not. That's why we, we're not going to say women in love sucked. It didn't suck. We just didn't like it. There's a line between the artistry right. of filmmaking mm-hmm. and the business of filmmaking. Yes. The business of filmmaking is purely for entertainment. The artistry is of the craft and the form. Women in Love is the craft and the form of filmmaking. Yes. Avatar is the business of entertainment. Yes. Avatar was an entertaining film. It sucked. <laughs> Women in Love was not, for us, an, an right. entertaining film. It is a work of art. Yes, it is. Uh, but that, yeah, so... So you challenged me a film with a lot of male nudity. I, I, in turn, challenged you to a film with a lot of female nudity. I don't think that's fair. <laughs> I think next, your next challenge to me should not be so opposite because it was unfair. It, it was actually, it, it wasn't I was actually on watching, purpose. I'm actually watching it, and every time I saw like, like, like uh, Oliver Reed's penis flap to the left or right, I was like, <laughs> all I could think of was like, Joey's watching breasts right now. Yeah, Susan Day, who I had a huge, huge crush on when she was doing Partridge Family. Really? Oh, who doesn't love Susan Day? My God! Oh, you know, I wanted to also when we when we start the challenges, I wanted to do a capsule of what the film's about. Okay, which we kind of do when we talk about the film anyway. Yes, we didn't do it. Women, we kind of did it when we went to love because it's really not. Much, it, it's that's really all it is, just talking, and it's about relationships and love and stuff, and and mild homosexual overtones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Looker's a, a bit more. It's a little bit. It's got a little bit more to it. She's yeah. a looker. She's a looker. I want it. You probably think I'm beautiful, Dr. Roberts, but I'm not. I want it. My nose is 0.2 millimeters too narrow, and my cheekbones are 0.4 millimeters too high. I want it too. I do television commercials. They want a certain look. I did surgery on several girls a few months back, commercial actresses, and there have been some suicides. You don't know what's going on. This is more than commercials. They're killing all the girls that are perfect. DMI measured some girls for possible surgery. We were conducting an experiment. Hi, I'm Cindy. I'm the perfect female type, 18 to 25. Here you see a typical computer model being made. Hi, I'm Cindy. I'm the perfect female type, 18 to 25. What have you got me mixed up in? I have a right to know if somebody's trying to kill me. So the looker is basically the story of uh, Albert Finney's uh, classic, a classic surgeon. surgeon, and his and he's been doing specific alterations for models. 
and they start turning up dead. Yes. And he starts digging four, into it. specifically. Four. And then yeah. he starts digging four, into it. there's four, and they start dying one by one. And, and you're a stickler for detail. I, hey. <laughs> but what is the mantra of this show? So, so anyway. <laughs> you're the blowhard. I'm the fat guy. I thought the mantra was just because you like it doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> yeah. That's what I've been repeating nonstop now. Okay. Uh, and and so he, he starts digging into it. Turn out there's a whole conspiracy uh, of a company. Because it, it's one of these great things. Michael Crichton wrote the but, wrote uh, and directed. I'm breaking off of the the, the synopsis because it doesn't make any sense to begin with. <laughs> this is this is now this wasn't based on a novel. This was a screenplay written correct by Michael Crichton. Right. I think he 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 didn't he delve into Hollywood as a screenwriter director first and then. Went into books because he was unsuccessful. No, 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 no. He got into screenwriting and directing because he wrote books, and they were Andromeda Strain was made for TV movie based on his novel, okay. and he got into Hollywood like that. Got it. And then he started doing movies. So and they just gave him a camera and said, "Here's you know ten million bucks, go make a movie." They do that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched it a, lo- a while before you, so I'm, I, you did. I wa- I just watched it last it night, is. so it is really fresh in my See, head. I usually date when I watch films. I didn't do that on this one. This mm. was like a couple months ago. I watched this again, and I saw it as a kid. I a, never did. You, I, I, I I never ever heard of this movie. I've only got two years on Joey, but those two years sometimes like really have a vast difference in what I saw when I was really young, and then he never got around to seeing. Yeah. When I was real young, when I was young enough to remember films and stuff. Uh, Looker came out in the theaters, and then it, it hit came cable. Out, it came out in '81, and that would have only put me at five years old. Right. That would have put you old enough. It was like seven or eight. Yeah, to like see it, and you know, kind of. By the time I hit cable, understand it more. By the time I hit cable, I was almost ten. Right. So I and, actually saw it. You know. And me, I, I just, I saw the thing before I saw just about anything else. Yeah. So now Michael Michael Crichton has always been a big. Uh, he's dead now. So I can't, we can't ask him questions. Um, he, yeah, he, he, after Jurassic Park hit off, he, he was always went on record in interviews saying how Hollywood was stupid. Uh, I think he actually said that they're stupid because they would always me- like they would mess up his books and stuff. And then when I w- went back and watched Looker again and, and I did some research and I found out, wait, 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 Michael Crichton wrote this and directed it. Yeah. It's an original thing. And if you listen to the audio commentary, it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's one I haven't listened he to He thinks yet. he's a complete visionary in yeah. this audio commentary. And, you know, we were going for this, and it's never been done before, and I think we were ahead of our time. And it's like Scott was saying earlier when I briefly mentioned it, because we save a lot of our stuff for the show. He said, you know, whenever you hear anyone say they're ahead of their time and it's a bad movie, oh, that's a that's a sign right there. <laughs> they are either delusional or just unwilling to admit, yeah, I made a mistake. Yeah. And I've listened to, I've listened to audio commentaries where the director says, yeah, you know, I don't know what I was thinking here. This part didn't work. <laughs> he actually did that's say actually that a, during I, one of the scenes in the film, and we'll get to it, but... Actually, that, that's like one of the things that problem I had with John Carpenter's audio commentary for Assault on Precinct 13, because he spent so much time picking out, like, oh, that's obviously a fake thing there, and this and that. Like, he, he was so negative on the film, like, he right. he, like, he wasn't embracing it as, as the way his fans did. No, you're yeah, you know, you're right. Now, I don't know why there's an audio commentary on Looker, because I don't know what fan base demanded that. Maybe he was obligated. Uh, Contra- you know. Contractually? Yeah. Well, again, it's, it's really you don't want to badmouth your own films, even though some people do. Like Richard Dreyfuss, when he did the Bush, or W, when he was promoting the film, he came out and said, that's half of a good film. And I actually agree with him. I thought that film was okay. I actually haven't gotten around to seeing that either. It's, 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 it's passable, because anything that's, everything that's in the film, you already know, except for like one or two scenes. Yeah. And and Barbara Bush is miscast because she's like way prettier in the movie than she is oh, in real life. She's looked the same for... Oh, oh, Barbara Bush. Never mind. Yeah. 
They were talking about his mother. Uh-uh. No, she's well cast, but yeah, she she's looked the same for what two so, decades. So 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 Albert Finney tracks down the, the conspiracy, and here's the weird part of this film. The conspiracy is that this is like this is again this is Crichton technology going through technology, and and the conspiracy right. is that they're they're making perfect video, uh, like electronic copies of these models, yes, and then killing them off so they can use their images on TV without without paying, paying them royalties yes. and. And of course, that raises questions like: so they have no loved ones, uh, <laughs> no one will ever recognize these people because they're models, so they've obviously done work before. Yes. Uh, so when after they've been interred and buried, and they start showing up selling mop and glow, it's like, wow, what happened to them? So, <laughs> hey, that's my cousin. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I thought she died. It's like, well, she's obviously getting good work. And it, it really kind of breezes over common sense stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the technology is kind of really wacky. It's it's a little silly. It, it kind of takes the Tron aspect of yeah. Where... I was about to say <laughs> it's like the same approach to the same approach to technology. Well, you know, Tron. a lot of films in the eighties were took that Tron you know well, you, approach to technology where it's like you know what computers... we're just going to do this and we can animate it and we can make it look good, but that's not how it works. Well, computers were so new that not only did most people not know how they worked 100%, I still say most screenwriters didn't understand. And watching this film, I'm wondering if Crichton fully understood, because he, right. he was a doctor. He did the medical aspect, yeah, and he was good at doing research and stuff, but I don't know if he really understood the, the nah. computer technology at the time. Because if, if he was ahead of his time, we'd be, we'd be killing models now. And just, uh... I mean, even if... Uh... Actually, Looker is like Avatar's the end result of Looker. Which means that Sigourney Weaver's probably dead now. <laughs> uh, it's like even 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 when uh, the uh, internet and technology and computers started to become more home-based, you get films like uh, the Sandra Bullock film, The Net, where you watch that movie. They get, they're getting things wrong in that, too. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's just, wow, this is, you know... I think that came out in 94. Yeah, that came out right. like 94, 95, something like well, that. Well, it's because the internet was still new. It was, but still, it's like they, st- what I'm saying is the trend of them really not knowing how everything worked. Yeah. Still going on. Because well, like, in 1981, video games were, were still like, uh, like you know. Pong. Pong. Well, not Pong. 81's not Pong. But 81's like. Did, Atari 2600. Yeah, Atari 2600. Yeah. Like, like, like colored television. blocks moving around the screen. Yeah. And they're telling us, soon they'll be able to scan people and you won't know they're, they're real. Yeah, you know, much like James Cameron doing right. now. Like, honestly, they look like real. They look like real seven foot tall blue people. I'm, I'm, I keep mentioning Avatar, don't I? Yes, you do. I should stop that. Yeah, you said we weren't. I know. Well, you said you were. I apologize. I've stopped. I was wrong. I, 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 owe, I owe a dollar to the Avatar jar. <laughs> okay. We have to put an Avatar jar now every time I mention but, it. But yeah, one of my notes is, you know, just how you know, even back then in the eighties, mm-hmm. where you know nowadays, uh, plastic surgery, being thin. Uh, being attractive, not you know, uh, not being overweight in any way, is glorified to a point today where it's just completely absurd. It's the vanity of the society. And, Correct, and it, it was true back. It's it's been true for a long time. It's been true, and and just watching this film, it just goes to show. Even back then, it was it was bad, but how worse it's gotten through the years. Now, actually, you, you could actually think of this film as a cross between Nip Nip Tuck. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sim One, okay, if that makes sense. I, did anybody ever see Sim One? I know I didn't. No, I never saw but, it, but I know what you're talking. <laughs> about. Look it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure no one out there's seen that movie. 
<laughs> any, I don't think anyone. I would love, you'd love to know if anybody. Ever I don't saw know that anyone. Film. I, I didn't even think you would have. You mentioning it was like I know what you're talking about, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I've never seen it. Oh, um, but the funny thing is, the film kind of like the film could take a very strong approach about that onto that. Yeah. And instead of doing that, he kind of tries to indict the model agencies and, and advertising and television. Yeah. And it, it's always kind of funny when like somebody who's in like the he's in the film industry yes. indicting television. Oh yeah, well, yeah. Probably kind of maybe maybe somewhat spiteful over something that happened with Andromeda Strain. Cause wasn't that made for TV movie? Or was that the Andromeda Strain? Was that I, theatrical I release? believe that was theatrical. Okay, I just wonder if he like if he had working in the industry if he had like some problem with with advertisers or something because it's a very anti advertising film. Yeah, it's like but M. never Night, really... Shalom Alam Ding Dong doing uh, Lady in the Water and killing off the reviewer. Yeah, <laughs> like here I, I in my notes I wrote down during the film uh, the premise of the film that advertising companies uh, creating digital representations of models and killing them in order to save money right. shows that Creighton knows much more about science and medicine than he does Hollywood. Like, TV commercial actresses are paid that much. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's cheaper, creating a – using million-dollar technology to create these models or just paying them 500 bucks and getting them out of here? I mean, it's I – th- I think porn actresses make more money than your typical commercial actor. Uh, pr- yeah, sure. So, I'm, I'm guessing there. So if I'm wrong, please tell me I'm wrong. I don't care. <laughs> no, I think you're right. Uh, they're probably more talented in some ways. Uh and actually, I think I think half I think that I think the half the actresses on commercials are pretty much whores. Men too. I think I think most actors on commercials are whores to begin with. My new favorite commercial, wow. <laughs> dude. They're selling this. You, you see, like the, the pharmaceutical commercials now. Oh yeah, dude. I I'm I known going off base here, but since we're talking about commercials, yeah. my, my new favorite one. Uh, my father and I now we compare side effects from these things. Oh, <laughs> there's one for depression. Yeah. Is that, they, is that the one with the redhead with the little doll with the wind up at back? No, this no? is this is one where they paint the people so look like the background like they're fading into the background. Oh yeah, it, it's, it's a it's a prescription medication for depression, and one of the one of the myriad of side effects they mention is uh, may cause um, suicidal suicidal tendencies. tendencies. <laughs> you think you're depressed now? Wait till you try to cure it. <laughs> and one of these commercials even had where one of the side effects is possible death. Possible death is a side effect. <laughs> wow, I think I'm okay with the acne. Don't worry about it. You know, we'll, we'll work through this. But yeah, it's like uh, they they have this new commercial for this. It's either a patch or a pill. I think it's a pill. No, it's a pill to quit smoking. Mm-hmm. And one of our friends is on it. And uh, one of the, two one of the side effects is suicidal tendencies. Now, but you know why that? So is? So I keep tabs on him. You know why? Not that, that, is? that he's a suicidal. He never. This kid, he could run through fire and walk walk away. Okay, you know you know why that is? It's because a lot of these anti uh, smoking medications yeah. is they're actually they're actually mood medication, right? Be, but yeah, it, it changes your mood to but, not want. Well, no, no, but no. What I'm saying is that was never that, that was never the intention. That was never the intention of the disorder. They, they, they when they find out it's a side effect where all, oh. all these like, in the test runs like oh all these oh, people like, that are taking the medication they like stop smoking accidentally finding female Viagra. So yeah, so so <laughs> they, they represcribe the same medication. For smoking, and then say, but it may fuck up your mood because it's not meant for smoking. It's meant for people that are, you know, right. psychotic. Yeah. <laughs> so it's bringing you down. <laughs> or, you, you'll be so depressed, you won't want to smoke. Yeah. Are you depressed? Yeah. Uh, well, that's not, not, that's not, about as, not, it's not as bad as that kid that uh, flew the plane into the White House back when Clinton was in the office. Oh, he was, yeah, at, he was yeah, on yeah, acting yeah. medication, and one of the side effects of the acting medication was suicidal tendencies. Oh, God. I thought, I thought the side effect of acne for kids was suicidal tendencies. Yeah, right. 
Now, th- so this is an anti-commercial film. It's, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's it's, it's really yeah. it really kind of plays on like this absurdity of commercials and and. Uh, but ironically enough, it's for a, a commercial that for a film that that has whose main battle cry is against the evils of advertising. Mm-hmm. It didn't stop Budweiser or Fruit of the Loom from actually having product placement in the film. Exactly. <laughs> when I saw that Fruit of the Loom commercial, and I'm like, "Am I really watching this?" Because they're making up all these fake fake uh, products right. that, that show the absurdity of commercials, and then out of nowhere, it's like but a real Budweiser commercial. Like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> a real Fruit of the Loom. It's like, <laughs> it's like you gotta be kidding. I, I, I would. I have to do some more research. I would love to know if there was any backlash. Because I remember, uh, what was that film with with Michael Keaton? Uh, where he he's, he rents the house and then like he destroys it from the Pacific inside Heights. Out. Pacific Heights. There was a backlash from that because I think it was Orkin gave them. Oh, with the bugs. Yeah, because yeah. Orkin, Orkin <laughs> gave he... them like you know paid for like on pro, uh, you know in product product placement in the film. Right. And then in the film they play the the exterminator as like an idiot. He's like stopping. Oh, look at this! Oh, Congress <laughs> over the place. He's like, like and Orkin's like I think he's either, they either sued them or threatened to because like hey we you know we paid you for product placement not to make us look like idiots. That wasn't a cost now. It's <laughs> so, like I'm wondering if Fruit of the Loom or Budweiser didn't understand the film and then it came out. It's like, Wait a minute. There's dead people wait, wait. in our commercial. But wait a minute. We're, we're the evil ones? <laughs> hey, then again, advertising is advertising. <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what surprised You know what? In the Budweiser commercial, I think the Budweiser one's first. It is because I, yeah. I had the red yeah, no, arrow for Fruit of the Loom. Because when Budweiser popped up, I was like, well, they're selling alcohol. I'm sure they're. I'm sure they know that they're they're, they're not going to be uh, boycotted because they're in this film, you know. Right. And th- th- but then when Fruit of the Womb popped up, I said, "Wait a minute, <laughs> who, who who approved that one?" I, I, again, I, I think I think nine. I think seventy five percent of the underwear in the world is uh, male underwear in the world is bought by mothers and women, pretty much. So so I'm I'm sure they weren't watching Looker. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, I don't think many people were watching Looker. <laughs> yeah, but that that threw me off. But and by the way. Yeah, I have to nominate Looker. Speaking of bad commercials, okay. for the best fake product ever, and you know what it is? <laughs> uh, spurt, 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 spurt toothpaste. <laughs> wait, wait. What are my notes? What are my notes? Hold it's on. It's at the very end of the. Yeah, film. yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. What are my notes? <laughs> uh, spurt. <laughs> and one of my notes is James Coburn is in the film. Yeah, <laughs> and they play they they strategically play this spurt toothpaste commercial as he's spurting blood all over the place from getting shot with one of the most unique surprised looks I've ever seen James Coburn do. It's just <laughs> I I you know what it's like I can under. James Coburn and Albert Finney really have to look wow. back on their career and say, you know, what was I thinking there? What the f- I, What was I thinking there? Albert Finney was in Tom Jones, for Christ's sake. Yeah, but he was he was also in uh, Wolfen, so. Yeah. Which yeah, this was this was actually, like, Wolfen. You still haven't seen, you have, you have you watched Wolfen yet? I haven't watched it yet. Well, yeah, we have to watch that soon, because we have to we talk should. about that. I, we I wanna, definitely should. That's on my list of films I want to do audio commentaries on when we start doing yeah, the sure. MST audio commentaries. But uh, it's just, that that was, like, this time period... Like Wolfen, Looker, yeah, things like that. That that's Albert Finney's career at least, do, during this time. At least time Albert period. Finney didn't have a sex, or did he have a sex scene in this? No, I don't think he did. We saw his bare ass in Wolfen. I haven't seen it, but no, I know, no, I know. no, you didn't see his bare ass in Wolfen. I thought you did. No, you saw everybody else's bare ass. Well, you, you, you yeah. saw Gregory Hines' bare ass. You saw Full Frontal, um, uh, Edward James almost. 
a young Edward James Elmos. Jeez. And then Finney has a love scene, but I don't think you see his ass. I think you see random random patches of naked, okay. naked Finney. I was looking forward to now, now, but, but, but again, male, male nudity was my challenge. Your challenge had a lot of female nudity. Including I, Susan Day, yes. who was very opposed to the nudity in the film. Unless it was important to the story. Integrity well, of Looker. Well, you know what? I From listening to the commentary and watching it as well, I found... Crichton. 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 You told her the camera was off? <laughs> he basically... The, the the scene called for her to be naked, yeah. and she didn't like it, but she was going to do it anyway. Uh-huh. He said they filmed that for three days. Over, she was naked over three separate days filming those very brief scenes. How, how long did they film Albert Finney's fly through the air? <laughs> oh, and him going through the glass? <laughs> I actually paused it. There's a, there's a fight sequence where, where, where the mustache man, we're going to talk about him in a minute, because he, he rocks. Private eyes. A watch, he, but Albert Finney's like fighting this guy, and he gets, takes a punch, and then all of a sudden there's a shot of like the cameras like on a dolly, and Albert Finney's like his legs are stretched out like he's flying, and the camera follows him through a plate glass window, and it's the worst fucking shot ever. It's it like, terrible. It, like I think cr- they use it in the trailer too, because back then it's like yeah. you know, look what we're doing with this. This is we're we're inventive, we're innovative. It's like we're, we're ahead of our it's like time. Peck and Paw meets Saturday morning cartoons. Mm-hmm. It was completely silly. Actually, I think I rewound that twice to watch it. It's like, <laughs> wow. Because, I, again, I, I think from childhood, all I remembered was the flashy gun thing. Right. And the commercial, like the... the oh, and in the... In the, and the com- commercials at the end, when, like, there's nobody there, but they're, yeah, they're having yeah. to chase through that. And, and Crichton is basically, he's commending that scene. It's like, yeah, you know, it took us a lot of time to do this, to set it up, and, um, you know, it may, you know, you may look at it now, but back then I was proud of it, and it's just like, all right, shut up. <laughs> I also I also nominate this for one of the, one of the best '80s uh, film themes. She's a looker. She's a <laughs> she's a looker. The whole song at the end is like it's, it's great. I, I actually looked up the album. Yeah, well, you know what? I was looking. I, I wanted to get the uh, one of the, my notes is the music might be uh, for the time, but it still sucks. Well, there's a whole. It's just it's very '80s. It has that very '80s feel to it, obviously because it was in the early '80s. Yeah, no, I but, lo- I looked it up and I didn't write it down. It was actually the the person the person who did it did the music. They only Tangerine uh, Dream. Didn't no, do no, no. It, it was <laughs> she. She had, she had one album out. Although I like, and that, that was like the main Hunter. song on it. But she only did one or two albums. I, I didn't write any of it down because it wasn't that interesting. But it was like, it was like a one hit wonder person, and that was like her main song. I think. Oh really? Yeah. I, I didn't write it down. Someone out there that knows music is probably calling their eyes out because I'm I, I'm just glancing over it. I never. But, I never she's a look good. <laughs> I never admitted to being a an expert at music. But yeah. uh, I don't know. It just the music in the film it's, it's, overall kind of sucks because oh, then yeah. they have that slow motion futuristic music uh-huh. that just, which is just because it's one, it's in slow mo, and two, because it's a movie, you know, of the future. Uh-huh. You know, we're, we're going in this direction, so they they feel the need to do this futuristic style music too to uh-huh. go along with it slow mo, and that doesn't work either. It, it's just there's a lot of things that just don't work in the movie right you know so now but now the film the film actually was ahead of its time okay because as i'm watching the film i'm making notes on say like, well wow, i've seen this stuff before films there are films later that copied parts of this movie for example one of the main weapons in the film is the is flashy the, thing the stun gun is it, it's this weird fl- it's a it's a flashlight gun what that, did i actually call it i actually called it a um 
Uh, you know what? It's on the next page. It's a flashy gun that puts you into a trance and then makes it so you can't see the person who flashed the gun, which makes no sense. It, it just completely stuns you, and you, you know, you're you're completely, but, but then like but, frozen, right? But then don't forget, there's also the thing where he can't see. Like, there's that one shot where after the mustache man flashy things him, yeah. he sees his legs under the table, but he can't see him above the table. Yeah, it's so silly. It's like, like like Cameron Creighton researched the I called si- it, <laughs> the, the the science behind this, and there's 100 percent sound. I called them uh, the hypno guns. <laughs> but the, yeah, they are, are going to have the guns, but but I but I, I like the hypno gun fight one, yeah, where he goes through the glass. But then I also like the hypno gun car chase. Oh yeah, <laughs> I love the my favorite shot. I think in the whole movie is the mustache man in the car. Okay, and he shoots him with the hypno gun, and he just leans back and just gazes yeah. straight into space. Actually, my favorite shot is, is, is my favorite one is, is uh, at the the big climax at the end, yeah. where James Colburn's trying to find. You know, they're having that little race, yeah. and James Colburn finds his wife's dead body, and oh, he's yeah. kind of and he kind of glances down like, oh, dead wife, and keeps going, <laughs> just, no reaction. He just goes, Jennifer, Jennifer, Jennifer. Oh, Jennifer. you're dead. Oh, <laughs> all right, let me drag you off to the side, you're, and I'll take the elevator. Because right? yeah, God forbid you come up with me. Uh, my mean, beloved wife is dead. You're in the way. I'm trying to find this guy to get off the elevator. <laughs> but it's like no expression whatsoever. Like Col- I think at that point, uh, Colburn was like, whatever. <laughs> should I should I show remorse? No, just move her off the elevator. What? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but what was I saying? You were talking about the mustache. Oh yeah. Man. Well, no, the flashy. No, the flashy thingy. Same same well, with the mustache the mu- man. Oh, okay. Uh, so the flashy thingy yes. is a precursor to Men in Black. Yes, it is. Yes, then, it is. Then you have the this the scene in the beginning where the model. Gets tangled up in the curtains and falls over the balcony onto a car. Lethal weapon. Lethal weapon. There you yep. go. You're with me, sir. Computer generated people on television. What does that remind you of? Uh, wait. Now that's on the tip of my tongue. Max Hedrum. Max Hedrum. Okay. And then the idea of hypnotizing audiences, mesmerizing them for to do your own bidding on television. What does that remind you of? Barack Obama. Yeah, see, so, oh, okay. So, I wasn't going to go with that. So, I was actually trying to think of a movie. <laughs> Not, the uh, you know, like the right wing real life. Reality uh, is far scarier, my friend. <laughs> if, if, you don't, if you don't think the White House is using that technology right now. No, that's funny. But did you notice in the beginning of the film where she gets tangled up in the curtain and she falls on the car? Did you notice what happened right before she falls over the ledge? No, what? She drops the dog. Well, you can't kill the dog. Well, that's that's the thing. It's another one of those uh, movies where it makes our list of where they don't kill the kid or the dog. Movies where they save the dog. Right. Yes. So it's just like they made a point to show you. It's like, why is she even holding the dog anyway? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But they, they make a point to show you that she drops the dog. Oh, the dog's okay. So she can fall on a car and just fall to her death. I'm adding, well, it, to my, I'm adding it to my list of movies that save the dog right now. Looker. <laughs> She's like, you got to be kidding me. You know what I noticed at the beginning of the film? What'd you notice? Boobies. <laughs> yeah. I, I made the note right. Oh, I lost my page place again. I, I made the note. Say boobies. First five minutes of the film, and we have boobies. <laughs> Crichton knew his art target audience. That's right. He even got to show everyone Susan Day's boobies. Hey, not oh. in the first five minutes though. Not in the first five. Yeah, the wait for those. But it does happen. Yeah, there's a She's lot. She's actually of... completely naked, but there's um, very stylish type of filmmaking where they. It's called hi- lighting. Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. where they're scanning her, it's completely dark in there. You can see her yeah. boobs, but you don't see anything. You see her butt, but you don't see anything else. Yeah. My favorite line of the film, we have to find the looker lab. <laughs> like 18 times, we must find the looker lab. 
I have to get into the Looker Lab. <laughs> the Looker Lab. It should be called Looker Lab. It's like <laughs> Albert Finney's The Looker Lab. And this is why novelists shouldn't write screenplays. Right. It's because they, they don't know how to do exposition. Honestly, like, the dialogue purely for exposition. Mm-hmm. You have There's that scene, Albert Finney's reading instruction manuals to the audience. <laughs> it says here that these guns do... It's like, what? Oh, it's some of the, the dialogue. This is unlike any other gun ever made. Yeah. It's like, what? He's explaining it to the audience so they're not like, what the fuck is that? Which you don't... Again, like any audience you're watching, right. I don't need an explanation. They, the flashy gun thing and he, and he can't see. I got it. <laughs> it <laughs> looks like a flashlight. Okay. It looks like a flashlight. It'd be like an avatar that they stopped explaining the, the, the physics of the floating mountains. They didn't. They're floating no. mountains. Yeah, and with a water source, we don't know where it's yeah. from, but it's just happening. They I, accept I, it. I owe, I owe another dollar to the avatar jar. Since you <laughs> commented as well, you owe a dollar. Um, what? <laughs> I only commented because you brought it up yet again. You, you, that, that, you, don't have to, you don't have to support me on that stuff, though. Uh, okay, fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, in my notes, you said, did anyone in the 80s actually know how technology worked? The answer is no. Yeah, no. Yeah, we definitely know. Yeah. Oh, then that chase scene at the end, or yes. that, that 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 kind of not chase scene as much as like the hide and seek sequence uh-huh. at the end. Albert Finney is not what I would call cat like. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You There's know one part where he rolls. Yeah, it was, it was like it was almost like a comic. Like I can almost see uh, Will Will Ferrell doing the same thing. He got like, like half rolls over and climbs. And it's like, yeah, Al, Albert. Yeah, he, he is not not. Not the cat burglar. You know what's funny about the uh, the end of the film where they're running all around through the studio. Oh, but and it, the whole scene is that they're, they're, they they get it's the big premiere of the whole uh, commercial but, enterprise, uh, right? The, it's like it's a whole it's a big presentation for the commercial thing, mm-hmm. but the big secret is that they're not real people. So I don't know what the big deal is about the commercials. And you know what? And this is some weird reality where commercials are live. They're, yeah, yeah, they're, they're watching it live. So they're yeah, in this so big, weird. they're in this big warehouse studio, empty warehouse studio, where all these revolving sets are revolving around because they could they could copy images of of real people onto into the computer, right. but they couldn't pre-record these things and add them. Then they had to add, add them live. So while Albert Finney and his girl are being chased around by James Colburn and the Mustache Man. They, um, they're ending up in these commercials, and people are laughing their asses right. off because so, of what's going on. So you know, the, the woman goes open the trunk to show the car, and there's Albert Finney hiding in the back seat. So <laughs> ho ho ho! And so you you work you work in the entertainment industry, and you have no idea how television works, sir. Exactly. Or or exactly. he or he just assumes that people are dumb enough where they're not going to understand the basic concept of television. Which yeah. I, and that who knows eighties maybe he was right. And, and what's interesting uh, about the, the as the, a ten year old I didn't notice that that's not yeah, how things were I, made. I guess so. I mean and. and What's interesting in what you were just talking about, where there's a room full of people and they're watching these commercials, uh-huh. and it's like that's as many people you could round up for this, you know, momentous well, future changing uh, as many presentation. Rich people. But here's the thing, too. Earlier in the film, uh, Albert Finney said he had to go to a black tie, uh, black tie affair. Yeah. Okay, and he brings Susan Day with him. There's like six people in the room. It's like this is the worst black tie affair I've ever seen. <laughs> It's like, are you kidding? You know how scarce black ties were in the 80s, sir? <laughs> My God. I mean, you watch any, like, decent film that has some sort of a black tie affair, and it's like, you know, it's hundreds of people, or, you know, it's, it's, you can fill the room at least, you know? So it just, ugh, whatever. <clears throat> but you were talking about the end of the movie, where they're running around through the studio yes. and everything. Did you notice the green neon floors? Uh-huh. Okay. Crichton actually talks about that in the commentary. And he basically says, we tried to get the green floor in just about every single shot when they're running around through the studios so the viewer doesn't feel lost and that they know where they are. <laughs> and I was, I was lost a half hour into the film. <laughs> but wait a minute. Here's the best part. He talks about 
how when it finally made its transition to TV and cable, and because the film was shot in a widescreen format, uh-huh. about how it went to a 4-3 aspect ratio and it's a full screen format, yeah. he said there were a lot of complaints about people getting lost and not knowing where they are in the end of the film because the green neon floor wasn't in the shots. I, I'm listening to this audio commentary. I, <laughs> I wish Creighton was alive now because I, I feel bad mocking him now that he's dead, but... <laughs> Damn it! I gotta. I'm so listening to that tonight. You have oh. to. It's just. It's hilarious. It's just really good. Stuff. I'm gonna double check my. I'm gonna double check my DVD to make. There's only one DVD. It's gotta be the same one. So I, I have to have the audio commentary. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's why they got lost because of the green floor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I tried to make sure that. Oh, I can't even get. Oh. Pretty much. <laughs> now, but but the the best part of the whole film yeah. is Tim Rusevich as Mustache Man. <laughs> Speaking of ultimate oh, and, 80s. And, and Crichton did mention the whole Tom Selleck thing in the commentary. For, for those who don't, don't know Tim Rosovich, he's the mustache man. He's been in like every other film. He was in. Um, he's one of the heavies in uh, uh, Night Shift. That's right. He plays a bodyguard in Soap, the series. He's the one that frisks, yep. uh, frisks the gay Billy Crystal. Yeah, his oh, character's yeah. gay, yeah, yeah, not, yeah, yeah, not yeah, Billy yeah. Crystal. Billy, Billy Crystal's not gay. So it's not I, I, I think Crichton actually, <clears throat> in the commentary, went along the lines of saying that he employed the Rosovich Rossovich family for like two, three years. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Rossovich did a lot of stuff, and and he would also double for Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck, because they both look alike. They both have the same mustache. He said that. He he actually said it, it was uncanny. Uh, the you know how much he looked like Tom Selleck, yeah. or you know how, but, how much they looked alike. But in most of Rossovich's roles, he doesn't speak. No. He has he has a speaking. No. He has a line or two in uh, Night Shift. Oh no, he doesn't play a heavy in Night Shift. He plays one of the Johns. He's like in his underwear. Oh yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, right. He, I think he attacks because uh, I, I think uh, one of them goes to get the money from him because he wouldn't pay. <laughs> well, he wouldn't pay. For, he wouldn't pay for Shelley Long sleeping with him, which I wouldn't either. <laughs> I, I, I'm on his side on that one. But I mean, Rosovich is just watching through the whole film because he shows absolutely no emotion whatsoever. No. He and, does no, no. And we're calling no him the Mustache Man in the credits. He's the mustache man. That's what he's credited it, as. Not man with mustache. Mustache man. Mustache man. <laughs> now, and, and his connection to Tom Selleck, did he mention that in the in the Yes, he did. They both were roommates in college. Yeah. I like to think that they they were the mustache duo. squad. Mustache squad. Mustache duo. I would love, I need to get a hold of Rusevich, mm-hmm. and I have to ask him. The only thing I need to know, mm-hmm. all I want to know is, did they both have mustaches or did one of them have it, and did the other one grow it because the other one had it? I mean, did, did they both? Did they both were they both roommates? It's like, wow, we both have mustaches. We're kind of cool. Or was it one of the things like, you know, Tom, that mustache looks good on you? Or even the other way around? Right. Oh, you know, uh, Tim. You really wear that mustache? Well, yeah, I think I should try that out. Well, I guess I do, Tom. Is, is Tim Rosovich responsible for the Tom Selleck mustache? <laughs> and I'm not a fan of mustaches, but I will say Tom Selleck. One of the few men that actually looks gayer without a mustache than he does with it. <laughs> if you ever watch In and Out, yeah, he doesn't have a yeah. mustache in that, and it's just like I, I can see why he shaved the mustache because without the mustache, he looks completely gay. Yeah, well, isn't that one of the biggest reasons why uh, he, the, all those gay accusations came out and he sued and he rightfully won because he's not gay. But I think they were just jealous of the mustache. Probably. I'm jealous of it. I don't like mustaches. I mean, he got rid of the mustache later on in his career when he was doing things like uh, Friends. He was one of the lo- he was a love interest uh, in, in Friends for but, Kurt- Courtney Cox's character. But then he realized the error of his ways and went back to the Selleck stash. 
I'm not 100 percent sure on that, but I'll take your word. Yeah, for no, it. Late, later films like his westerns and stuff. He still had the mustache. Um, Quickly down under. That's that's after. That's that's all before Friends. Oh, Friends. I'm sorry, Friends. I think I said. I thought you said Cheers. <laughs> well, Friends was around the same time as In and Out too. So that was that whole that time. Yeah. He has the mustache now. He's back with the mustache. Was he ever in Cheers? No. <laughs> I just went with it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say. What do you mean? I never heard of that. I'm just assuming you know what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, no, I don't. But Rostovich is the best part of this whole film. Oh, he's great. And like, just, and like I said, when he's in that car chase with a hypno gun and he just leans back and stares into space, it's just like... Because normally when you get hit with the hypno gun, you just freeze in place. But in the car, he goes out of his way because he's looking out of the car, gets hit with the hypno gun, and goes out of his way to actually lean back in the chair and stare into space because he's hypnotized now. Uh-huh. It's just hilarious. The hypno guns are hilarious in this movie. I mean, I, I love the fact that, that Mr. Creighton, the guy who did Jurassic Park, and yeah. he praised it, and the, you go back and watch this, it's like, wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, the, 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 the attention to scientific detail is stunningly horrible. <laughs> now, before the podcast, you had said to me, yeah, didn't he do another film after that? Or even before. I know he after. did something. It was after. I know he did something uh, else. I wouldn't tell you because I wanted to get you. I wanted to see your expression when I tell you. Okay. Because... He took a ten-year hiatus between between the next film he did after Looker yeah. and Jurassic Park. So for ten years he didn't do films. Well, he just wrote. He just wrote book. novels. He wrote novels. Well, I'm saying, Jurassic Park was done by Steven Spielberg. He what was, I'm saying, yeah. what I'm saying is, between that ten-year period before Jurassic Park, he spent ten years without writing or directing anything. Fine. All right. The film he did two years after his big follow-up, The Looker. Yes. Was Tom Selleck in Runaway? Oh. <laughs> Oh, that's and, right. And then the Tom Selleck, Gene Rossovich, Simmons is the bad guy. Rossovich thing comes full circle. Doesn't it? Because I can guarantee and the you, I don't even have to look. I know that Rossovich was doing stunt double work for him in Runaway now. And, and, and the crappy sci-fi technology comes full circle, too. Again. Anyone who doesn't remember Runaway, which at the time was a... If you're, you're lucky. If you're lucky. I remember, the t- I remember the commercials. It was a big deal at the time. Oh, yeah. And it's Tom Selleck as a futuristic cop, and in the future, Gene Simmons is a genius inventor, and he creates these little square boxes with legs, like little robots, oh, wow. and they, 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 they crawl like spiders and inject acid into people. God, I, and that's, I vividly remember this movie as a kid. Now this I I saw. Yeah. This I absolutely saw and remember vividly. Not Looker. I had to obviously, you know. I, I think it was. I think it was Tom Selleck's low point and Gene Simmons' high point as far as films. <laughs> as far as films go. My God, Runaway! What a terrible fucking movie. He's a runaway. <laughs> He's on a runway. <laughs> my God. Oh my. Head that's got, that's got to be a future challenge. Now I got to go back and watch that because. You got a copy laying around? Your parents might own one? No, 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 no. I, I have to find this. You know, I, my, I, you know what? I would venture to say my father has a boxed VHS copy of Runaway. I have to check to see. Because my mother if... loves Tom Selleck, so I'm not even can't sure do if it's, wrong uh, in her eyes. I'm not even sure if it's on DVD. I have to double check that. I don't think so. I think we, if we were to watch it, we'd have to go to my parents' house and get the VHS box copy. <laughs> but yeah, that's... That... <laughs> <laughs> when you when you said that, so I think he made other films. Like, oh yes, he did. <laughs> and then after that, he said, "You know, let me let me stop." <laughs> he didn't let do anything after stop. Runaway. No, uh, I, uh, according to IMDb, it was a ten year gap between Runaway and as far as filmmaking. You know, he, he has no he has no credits between those two ten that the ten year period. Wow. 
they kind of like stopped. And I, I think it was also, I think after doing Looker and Runaway, I think they stopped optioning the scripts for a while. They didn't really have anything based on this stuff for that 10-year period either. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Any, anything else to add for Looker? Did you, no, you skip I, anything I, on your notes? No, I, well, what do I got here? It's just... There's so much in that movie. It, dude, there's, there's just... You, you know what... I, I hate keep going back to the hypno guns, but they are hilarious. <laughs> I mean, the whole fight scene—it's like he is beating the living shit out of Finney. Mm-hmm. He could have killed him ten times over, and then later in the film, he is trying to kill him. So it's like, why are you just playing cat and mouse with him? But then again, the, the movie would end there. Yeah. But if realistically, if that scene is happening for real, and you got a hypno gun, you use a hypno gun, then use a real gun. You're done for the day. You know, any real criminal. Would have finished off Finney very quickly instead of just toying with him for that whole scene, and then getting his own ass handed to him because mm-hmm. Finney ended up with a hypno gun. It's like, come on! You know the funny thing is too, I I, th- I think like modern day now, yeah. if if they tried to do something like this, it wouldn't have been a secret conspiracy. Uh, can you see like like I can see like uh, let's see uh, Ailes come out uh-huh. and say, yeah, we, we we killed all we've killed all the Fox News commentators and replaced them with uh, computer clones. <laughs> yeah, no, we did it. So, yeah. okay. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> tune in. That's what you're going to do. Yeah, yeah. you going to arrest me? <laughs> but no, I Let think... me see if I can make bail. <laughs> oh. But I, I, think that's, I think that's it for Looker. I think that's it for Looker for a very long time. Well, I, think, uh, I, I think we should wrap this up. I think, I think so. We didn't, we didn't leave time or anything else because Looker, no, Looker, I know. Looker's I... just I won. Come on, admit it. I won hands down this time. I won. You did win. I won. I no, mean, you, you, you w- did win. Women in Love is the only was, thing that, that I got to see boobies. That was it. Yeah, yeah. You know, see, even with that, I still think I won because that was definitely the worst film. Yes. Yeah. No, you, you it, didn't like Women we, in Love, we, but no, I didn't like it. But I do accept that it is a you know work of art, like you were saying, mm-hmm. and the cinematography was you know amazing, and I'll accept it for that. But it bored the living hell out of me. <laughs> this made me laugh my ass off, but it is a terrible movie. A truly, truly bad film. If there's any film that ever fits our show, you know, about what we do and mm-hmm. what we talk about, this is it. This is it. Looker's like Quinn. It's like Looker and Jim Cotta are like up there, like the two. Yeah. I, I, I no, I, I would like the Looker is Jim Cotta worthy. I think so. Looker is, is the Jim Cotta of that. Yeah, I mean, Jim Cotta is really the standard we have for bad films, and Looker is it. Because Jim yeah. Cotta is also so bad that everyone loves it. Yes, and I think Looker's that same thing. I think Looker is just—it's so bad that I love. I have to watch it again and again. Yeah. I have no problem watching that. Woman in Love, I don't know, yeah, but Looker, Snorfest, yeah. So but, oh. it's so bad. I love it. <laughs> so so wrap I'll watch up. it with you. So wrapping up, I won this chip movie challenge. He sure did, bastard. And uh, we want to ask you all to go to moviestucktastic.com. That's right. Yeah, go to moviesucktastic.com. You can listen to the podcast right there. Uh, we've embedded a, uh, an audio player. You don't want to take it with you? Fine. You can listen to it right on the site. If you do, you can download it. You can go to podcast.com, podcastalley.com. You can go to iTunes.com. Also, you can become friends with us on Facebook, or you can go to uh, our blog, which is boothreviews.blogspot.com. 
and you can email us at themovieguys at moviesucktastic.com. And pretty much all of those links are at moviesucktastic.com. Again, that is your central hub for yeah. everything. Everything that is moviesucktastic is from there. That's right. All, all you haters that, 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 that are now angry with me because... Are you, I'm sorry, all you lovers that are angry with me because my hate of Avatar now... Uh, you can contact us. Yeah, let us know about it. If, if I if we get enough uh, angry if we get enough angry emails about Avatar, we'll we, read them. We will have an Avatar only episode again. Just to, just to we read said it. we wouldn't, but if you do email us and it enough of it is good content, we will. If we get if we get enough, I mean, go ahead, uh, call me names. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I, I do all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also want to plug real quick. I want to plug RiftTracks.com. Okay. Also, CinematicTitanic.com. These are these are the, everybody from Mystery Science Theater 2000 is still doing the riffing thing. Right, they're doing it on riff tracks with Mike Nelson and Kevin Murphy, and then the rest of the crew is doing Cinematic Titanic. We just they're just their last one that just came out was um, East Meets Watts. Oh, it's that was, that was great. It's a copy of their live live show, which I actually have tickets to go see in, yeah, in but, April. Yeah, let me know how that goes. I'm dying. That, to that see looks that. like it's a blast. Oh, I'm seeing that in Princeton. So you know, I check out those two sites. You know they're really good. Also, podcast. The only one I really like right now that to promote big time is outside the cinema. Yep. Got to listen to these guys. These guys are how it's done. They just hit their one hundredth episode, and they are a perfect example of what is great about. Besides us, they're a perfect example <laughs> of what is great about movie podcasting. So right. you know, tune into them. Um, and also, Homestead Coffee Roasters are my coffee guys. Dead Man's Brew. You can you can buy their coffee from homesteadcoffeeroasters.com. That's about it. I, I think that's it. Uh, so this brought to you by Spurt Toothpaste. <laughs> the toothpaste that comes in your mouth and not in your hands. Ooh. <laughs> Let's get the fuck out of here. All right. <laughs> uh, Made you laugh. <laughs>